0: everyday people, they're busy watching these shows that uh, majority of them are showing, we caught the killer, we caught the person, and they're behind bars. And then everybody, they watch the show, and it, it's horrible what happened. It's gruesome. And somebody died, but they caught the killer. Okay, good. That's a good story. Good night. I'm going to rest sadly knowing our criminal justice system gets it right every time they're going to catch the guy. That is so far from them. In truth. You hear that a lot where somebody comes on a scene and you know they're panicking and they're trying to, to guess like what happened. The assumption that the person makes on that 911 call, whether it's a true assumption or not, it'll come back to bite you for sure. Because they're listening to see, are you trying to already stage an alternative situation as far as you know what happened to her? You're already down this path of like creating this fabrication.
1: And he goes ahead and he, he says, look, I'm holding off the other detectives from hurting you. They want to hurt you for what you did. Tell them something and you can go home. Just tell them something so I can get you, you out of Go here. home. So, go I, home.
0: famous last word.
1: So, he he, he said, so I, I, I tell them based on all the things that they had said, I kind of knew what happened. And I tell them. What ended up happening? They charged him. Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I am here with Fatima Silva. Probably said it wrong. And she is a defense attorney and the co-host of the I think any TV show, which is called Reasonable Doubt. And I believe it was on for, I don't know, eight or nine years. So we'll find out in a second. So I appreciate you guys watching and check out the interview. You're a criminal defense attorney.
0: Yes. A few things. You actually got my name right. So it is Fatima oh. Silva. Okay, that's on that. Uh, but the show is on ID Channel. That was originally what it was on, Discovery. And now you can find it on Max. Which is oh,
1: it's not on A&E? Yeah.
0: No, A&E was my partner's former show. So my partner, Chris Anderson, he was on the first 48, and that was A&E. But it's all, it's all owned by Discovery, which is now all owned by Warner Brothers. So you could basically find us on Max now. Okay, yeah, and it yeah. went. It ran for five seasons.
1: Oh, five seasons! All right, mm-hmm. and this was last. It was like canceled last season or something, or they just didn't. It they was did re- just
0: canceled. They didn't renew it last year. Warner Brothers took over, and things a lot of things have changed. Um, and our show, you know, nothing against ID Channel or anything like that, but it. um, I mean, it's a great channel. They had our show for five years. But if you do go to the network and you watch a lot of their shows, you'll find it, you know, a lot of shows like um, Neighbors Who Kill or Wives With Knives, you know, a lot more salacious stories. Right. Our show was not like that at all. Our show was a mission driven true justice show about wrongful convictions and looking into wrongful convictions. So um, we don't really have too much of that. And I think that we have, a, we have an incredible fan base. And a lot of people want to see the show back on a network. Um, we have been you know, on different net- networks, including Oprah's network. Um, it is, it's just a different kind of show. It's something you wouldn't normally see. You're getting together a criminal defense journey, which is what I do. I've been doing that for over a decade. And my partner, Chris Anderson, the amazing um, Chris Anderson, who is a former homicide detective. He was on the first 48 for many years from Birmingham, Alabama. And then they got him on this show. And um, so together we have to look into these. It could be an old case or a new case, but families are reaching out to us. And they're saying, my loved one was wrongfully convicted of murder. Here's why. And a lot of people say that, right? And a lot of people believe it. They absolutely believe it. You want to believe your loved one. I mean, let's say it's your father. Let's say it's your your spouse. And you're going to bed every night not knowing anything they're doing. I mean, gosh, that's a lot of these serial killers and night talker. Like all these people who were married and just went home and went to bed. And the woman had, the wife had no idea. So naturally, a lot of these people believe uh, in, in their family's case. And so at first, w- we always go in with an open mind. And we look at, okay, but what are you... Give us the evidence that you're looking at. Why do you feel it's a wrongful conviction? We know, and so throughout the years, obviously we've had hundreds of submissions. We could only take 10 cases um, a season. And so we would look at what are the reasons. If the reasons were pretty legit, if something seemed fishy, um, we would always do a FOIA request or get all the information from the directly from the courts, not just the family. But if there was something there, our producers would give it to Chris and I. And then we'd go and take a second look. We'd go to that state. We traveled for every single episode um, and we'd meet with the family and we'd dig into the case. And so but ultimately, it's a homicide detective and a criminal defense attorney having to have a meeting of the minds. Right. So if you can imagine and it was just me and another criminal defense attorney or just me, right. I'd be wanting to look in every case. I'd say, you know what? We think your loved one's wrongfully convicted. Absolutely. we're We're going to provide you that. Private investigator. Normally, what we would do is provide them an appeals attorney. Private investigator. Um, I would have been wanting to help everyone. That was my problem. I wanted to help everyone. Um, and then Chris would probably err on the side of nah, they're guilty. So what you have is us having to come together. We're looking at the evidence together. Sometimes we're duking it out, uh, brotherly and sisterly love, though, because we, I really respect what he does, and we have an incredible relationship and respect for one another's profession um and i would say a lot of the times we were in agreement there were some times i i would get in some good fight <laughs> and i'd get up and walk away and slam the door and you know try to get the producers on my side uh, but i'd say most of the time chris, chris was very reasonable and he could see listen he, he's able to say as a police officer for many years and still now chief of police and still you know in law enforcement he's i love that he's able to say no the police did something wrong here. This investigation is screwed up. And, um, you know, I may not know if this person's wrongfully convicted, but their their case needs the a second look. And so that's, I think, why the show worked really well. Um, but it is for true justice warriors, really. It's not for people who just want to turn on true crime and use it for entertainment purposes. That's not what we're about. This These are real-life jobs.
1: Right. I mean, I was going to say that that's, you know, That seems like a tough show for for a producer, because at least at cold case files, by the time the cold case file people show up, those producers, it's already resolved. Mm -hmm. Like you guys go through an entire investigation. And in the end, even if you lean one way or the other, it's still not really resolved. Does that make sense? Like, oh, And that's what
0: drove people. I mean, I'll be super transparent. Our fans. They love us. They love the show. And, and our true fans, you know, they've been following us for years. But there were a lot of people and you get comments like, what is the outcome of this? Like, what happened? Because we would just say at the end, you know, a and Fatima provided a, a private investigator. And it depends on what the issue was. Right. If the issue was something with the trial and, and the needing to get an appeals lawyer, we would provide that. If the issue was gathering more evidence, and still doing interviews, we would provide a private investigator. But at the end, can you imagine you've gone on this wild roller coaster ride and you find out this person may be innocent. And then at the very end, you're not told if they get out of jail. Wow, well, that's our criminal justice system. Unfortunately, it's very slow. And I can tell you right now, the exciting thing is that a five season, 10 a season, we obviously didn't help everyone. There were times Chris and I had to sit across from families. And as a criminal defense attorney, I hated this part. But I would say, we can't provide you help. We think that, the only house. It doesn't look good. And I would leave if if we felt like the person really did it. That was Chris's job. He would say, "This person is where they belong." And he would rarely say that because, uh he's just filled with so much empathy and compassion for people that he understands how hard that is to hear. So the way we would frame it is, you know, I, I think this is going to be an uphill battle for you every year. And the more you invest, the more you mortgage your house, the more you continue to just not go out and live your life um, the more you're gonna you're gonna find that you're gonna be disappointed because there's nothing that's gonna overturn this conviction it's gonna be very difficult and that's kind of the way we would say they might be guilty I would never feel comfortable saying somebody really did it there were maybe a few that I agreed with Chris yeah they did it Um, but that's not something I was comfortable with but yeah it's tough because out of the the people we did help let's say Anywhere from three to four a season, you're not getting the update immediately. And so people naturally, we all want resolve. We all want closure, right? We're watching a show. We want to see what's the outcome. Did the person do it? Our show is a journey. um, And we are hoping and trying to pitch an update episode with um, ID Channel, with Discovery, because we have so many updates. We have so many of these folks out. I'd say uh, not even a quarter, more than a quarter of the people are out of jail now. They either got released on early parole, suddenly um, convictions have been overturned. They're getting a new trial. So, suddenly, um, you know, they're released home. And so, we do have a lot of updates for people. We try to update people on our Instagrams. Um, but I could say that that is tough when you're watching a show and you don't know the outcome. But that is the purpose of our show to really t- draw back the curtains and show everyone this is our criminal justice system. And guess what? If you're innocent, And if somebody else is coming forward and they're saying, hey, I did it," see you five years down the line, still in jail, because that's the way our system's set up. Innocent or not, they like finality. That's what the court likes. So now at that trial phase, everybody thinks innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, you're giving that one shot. And even then, is it really innocent until proven guilty? Come on. But now you get to the appeals phase. Guess what? That burden completely shifts now. It's guilty until you can prove you're innocent. Not maybe innocent, not maybe somebody else did it, not, you know, that you may have an element. You have to prove your innocence.
1: But did these people, did everyone that you uh, took the case or you did an investigation into, did every one of those people go to trial or did some of those people plead guilty?
0: Honestly, I think there was one or two where they pled because we really didn't. We didn't really want to work with cases where there was a plea. It just makes it difficult for Chris and I to evaluate all the evidence, right? No evidence was really presented. Um, and so now we just have your side of the story, which we understand there was one case where it it felt like he was railroaded. And I think I do want to say he might have had uh, a trial first, and then he ended up pleading after. That trial may have been a uh, hung jury. I can't remember, but there was one case I remember where, he pled and we took it because we felt like he was totally railroaded.
1: Okay. Yeah. I was going to say you were saying like the whole innocent till proven guilty. I, I I had a friend in prison and he went to trial and during um I think it's Vaudier yeah right when they're so the questioning Yeah, the questioning and they're asking, you know, do you think that you can find his his lawyer said, you know, do you think you can find him, you know, not guilty, you know or, um, or you know whatever. Keep an open mind. Whatever it was, keep an open mind. I guess you keep an open mind. And the guy goes, "Well, he was convicted of forty-seven counts of fraud. He did something."
0: Oh, you mean charged?
1: Yes, he was charged. He was charged sorry, sorry, he was charged with yeah. forty-seven or whatever it was, twenty-five or forty-five. You know, and mm-hmm. and they were like, "Yeah, all right,
0: get him off the jury, yeah. get but him off I'm the jury." That's what that's just majority of.
1: Right. He just said what everybody else was thinking. <laughs> you know, he was the only one who was honest that I have to go, I don't think so. I mean, something's wrong. Right. First of all, he's sitting at the defendant's table. That already doesn't look good. Um, you know what I mean? Nope. So.
0: It's, it's the, it really, and I like how you said that. Like, everybody else was thinking it, but nobody says it. So, you know, the fact that he said it is is great because you can strike that person, right? They're already they have a bias coming in. You're not supposed to, you're supposed to go in with an open mind completely innocent until proven guilty. Um, but we do know everybody else is thinking that. We know majority of citizens think that when they're watching these shows and when somebody is, you know, nowadays we have so much trial by media. You're in the media and you are, you know, everybody's saying, Oh, they did it. You don't even know all the evidence, but do you need it? You're already deciding, well. They probably did it. And that's what I encounter all the time with folks. And that's why I love shows like ours because people just have, you can, the story can fit so perfectly. You're like, who else would have done it? That person was the only person there, the only person with the motive. And then you just, all this other evidence comes in. And then later you find out there was somebody else. I love those stories where it's like, no, it was a random person off the street. And people are like, it wasn't the husband. Like, Because we just that's what that's what people automatically go to. And although the statistics may show that that's likely the case, it's oftentimes when a woman's murdered, it's somebody she knows, somebody closer and all of that, that does not mean you just take each defendant and go, well, statistics show every person has the right to that benefit of of innocent until proven guilty.
1: forget the guy I, I interviewed the other day who was. When the trial and was found guilty. Gosh, what was his name? Russ. It was Russ something. Anyway, they made a they did a movie about his case on uh was it Netflix? It, anyway, it was uh it was um I think it was called gosh, I know how many We
0: this. let all you to details, Matt.
1: It was it was <laughs> called like uh the thing about mayor or the thing about Pam. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? Oh yeah. I interviewed the guy. I think his name was Russ. Really nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. But he was so funny because, you know, he said, no, listen, they, yeah, the husband that they, they found guilty. He's like, I mean, I came home and she'd been stabbed to death. He's like, and I did. He's like, I did. Ray, you know, his biggest mistake. Well, not his biggest mistake, but one of his mistakes was, you know, he said she tried to commit or she committed suicide. He's like, I didn't notice that, you know, you know. He's like, I didn't notice that she's been stabbed stabbed a bunch of times. He's like, I just there was a lot of blood. And there was a, uh, you know, there was a knife sticking out of her neck, he said. But for some reason, I just thought, you know, she could have just stabbed herself a bunch of times. He's like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I was in a panic. Oh, they were just trying to get them there. Mm -hmm. Right. So then, of course, they should, by the time they show up, it's done. They're already talking in the front yard like, oh. Never thought my first homicide uh, case would be this easy. What a slam dunk. Like they've already decided. I
0: mean, you hear that a lot where somebody comes on a scene and you know, they're panicking and they're trying to to guess like what happened. And right. anytime you hear um, that and this happened in one of our cases, the guy says she she the, she must have been oh, um, she must have been cleaning the gun and it went off, right? <laughs> yeah. The assumption that the person makes on that 911 call, whether it's a true assumption or not, it'll come back to bite you for sure, because they're listening to see, are you trying to already stage an alternative, uh, you know, situation as far as, you know, what happened to her? You're already down this path of like creating this fabrication when really he might have just been panicking. But I don't I don't know how you think someone's just going to yeah Not, most people don't people.
1: but i mean he clearly he didn't he didn't do it like they've already they're he you know,
0: didn't do it right i know the case. they
1: indicted so they, by the way they, they indicted pam yeah they I indicted know. her um, yeah well she found she was found guilty on another charge mm-hmm. she went to hire somebody that case is wild. to i mean it, it, the it, listen the more he wild. talked and I, of course i i saw the show i saw the show afterwards i said listen I, we gotta watch the show and so afterwards i was like i should have watched this beforehand like i'm blonde <laughs> yeah i would have had so many more right
0: now you're telling me you got to interview him and i'm thinking oh i would have loved
1: that listen but here's the thing he was a great storyteller great story like he have
0: to get him on ours
1: yeah he was really good um i was gonna say i have another guy named wade who actually runs a youtube channel called crime and entertainment and it's funny so he contacted me and was like hey i would really love for you to come on my channel and, you know, he was like, hey, look, and I'll be honest with you, man. He said, I just started it. I got like a thousand, two thousand subscribers. He's like, I just started, but I love your story. And I've been reaching out to people and, and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Well, I don't care. Sure. You know, no problem. I got some time. So I did it, you know, whatever, a few days later. And so six months went by and he called me, you know, sent me a text and was like, hey, can we, can I talk to you on the phone for a minute? I was like, yeah, what's up? And he said. So I didn't want to say this before, but he said, I had something happen and it's basically wrapped up now and I'd like to come on your show. And I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, I was, the quick version is he was, he and his wife split up. She started dating someone else. He and his wife started seeing each other again, right? Like they decided to make a go of it. His wife tells the other guy, look, I'm going to get back together. I got, got a couple kids with this guy. You know, we had a bad patch. I realize I'm, I'm, I'm still very much in love with him. I'm getting back together with him. I'm sorry. Well, the guy is basically going around telling people I'm going to kill this guy. So at some point, he's like, at some point, a buddy of his, they're all kind of a, a circle of friends, right? Mm-hmm. Loose knit friends, but a buddy, they were together and they were kind of drinking and he calls them up and says, listen, man, I've been talking to him. Like he just wants to talk to you. And so wade says i mean i'll talk to him that's fine so wade goes over to his house he's like you know it's it's you know it's common ground it's kind of neutral ground and he Go goes ahead. we had some beers and he had some basic questions you know he said it wasn't it was like look how long's this been going on just want to know like was she seeing you behind my back you know like i thought it was over i really like he really liked his wife he's like i felt bad for him so i told him right he said like, i told him what he wanted to hear you know obviously it's like no we just just started talking just
0: started yeah
1: right right you know it hasn't been happening so you know and keep mind, this is still my wife like this is my wife you know yeah we we, yeah you know it's a weird situation but he said the guy was he said we're okay he said but we've been drinking and so wade said he went and took him to his house or something along those lines he was supposed to drop him off at his house they went by his house for some reason he goes, the guy was like, he didn't want to go home. Let's stop at your house. Let's have some beer something like that. He's like, okay, whatever. So they go to his house is we have some more beers. And he said, the guy at one point, I keep in mind, Wade has a concealed weapons permit and a concealed weapon. And he said, and the guy knew it because he, I'd showed it to him earlier. You know, he said, we had a conversation about, it. you know, so the guy had just gotten out of the military, whatever, um, He said we're sitting there talking and we're joking around he's like we were laughing and having like just perfectly great conversation He's that all of a sudden he gets this look on his face and he says tells him he's like i'm gonna kill you and he's like oh what and he goes i'm gonna kill you and he goes and i mean he just attacked me he well first the guy he said he went to the bathroom came back and just he's like so when he came back i'm still he said he just looked at him and went i'm gonna kill you and he went what and he said the guy just charged me goes, so we're struggling. He's, we're not really fighting, we're struggling. He, he did swing on me a couple times, punch him in the back of the head. And Wade said at some point, he was. he's bigger than Wade. He was, he was bigger than me. He was well, at some point, he said, they're, they're kind of grappling back and forth. He goes, and I kind of held him for just a second. And I was like, you, you need to calm down. He's like, I, I, I you know, like I have a gun on me. And he's like, now he's afraid he, there. He, he goes, now he may go for the gun. Like, yeah. I don't know, like, yeah, hey, I have a gun on me. Like, if you don't back off, like you're going to get shot. Mm-hmm. And he said, they pushed him back again. Guys charged him again, pushed him back again. He's like, pushed him back again. I said, man, I'm, I'm not fucking around. He's like, do not. And he goes, a guy came at me again. He said, I pulled the gun. Boom. I shot him. Shooting, shooting him. He said, I, I thought I shot him twice, but I shot him three times. Well, when he called 911, he was like, he was still alive. I was like, Hey, listen, I just shot this guy in my house. And they go, is he alive? They, He's still alive. He's making noise. He's laying on the ground. He, you know, you got to come. Um, but one of the things they said in his case was he wasn't upset enough. Like, I'm drunk and I don't know this guy and I don't really, no, I'm not really all that upset. You know, like, yeah. I don't feel like I've done you anything just wrong. just got Right. So you've, I always hear these people like, he was too upset no no he wasn't upset enough apparently there's a proper amount of upsetness because you have to be to pass the smell test like I don't know well,
0: I'll tell that people uh, most of the our cases that we would handle there was always an opinion if there was a 911 call or if you know the cops uh, when you know they encountered the person afterward they were driving them to the station uh, for an interview but their behavior in the car you know when they were they, were, they just seemed relaxed. They didn't ask any questions about whether the person had passed away or not. I mean, there was so much critique, so much emphasis on how they reacted to a situation because as human beings, we tend to think we, we the only way we look at a situation is how can we relate to it? How would I behave? How would I react? And it's such a problem in criminal cases because you're always, and juries do the same thing, well, I would not have acted that way. Have you been in that situation? right and even if you have you're not the same person right so if i'm in an argument with my husband how we fight is going to be different how you and your wife fight it's just that everybody is different everyone reacts differently and so this idea that everyone should be uniform in how we react to a situation of finding our spouse shot or anything like that it's really unfair and it does play a big role and whether somebody's charged and whether somebody's convicted. And it's the same thing with a jury um, watching a defendant and their demeanor in court and how they react to, oh, you know, well, when they put up the photos of the victim and, the you know, it was so gruesome what had happened to the victim. That person didn't cry. They didn't shed the a tear. They didn't. Guess what? As a defense attorney, I'm sitting there going, do not show any, display any emotion. You don't because if you start crying, oh, that's fake. That was fabricated.
1: Or or the, right. that's guilt. He's crying yeah. out guilt. Or She's being right.
0: like, <clears throat> and so it's like you're, you're damned if you do, right? If he was just so emotional, people would say, why was that guy emotional? I mean, another guy tried to attack him, right? Without defense. If you're not emotional, you're a killer. It's like, it's really tough. What so it they, ended up happening?
1: They charged him. Oh. They charged him. And he went to jail. He luckily, and listen, this is for sure, you know this. Luckily, he had like a hundred thousand dollars in his four hundred one k, and he was able to bond out and get a decent attorney, yeah. and eventually the you the sorry the district attorney changed after about two years, and they presented and so the new district attorney his attorney went to him and said, "I want to show you the evidence that." we have and he goes you know that was a big he goes it's a big he goes. it was a big risk he's like this is a listen this is a state you know this was in like south carolina like there's a castle law stand your ground all of that he's like this guy's in his house but the evidence the investigation that the state had done was he's there's no there was no no signs of a struggle he said but we got the body camera from the video the from the videos, you could see the glass—a glass on the ground. You could see things knocked over. You could see, like, you could see all this stuff. But yet, the report said there was the no, report
0: said no sign of a struggle. Oh, no, no, Of course, no. There's none.
1: And then, you know, he wasn't upset. And uh, there, like, they had all these things that were just completely incorrect. They were saying that they believed he he might have even been kind of executed because of the way the trajectory of the bullet. Well, he—the guy—was running forward. They were saying, look, he was bent over. So he wasn't, Mm -hmm. they weren't like this, you know, they think he was maybe on his knees or bent over and he shot him while he was on his knees or Mm -hmm. executed. Like,
0: no. We have that in the case too. Right. We have that where a whole jury, they presented to an entire jury, look, and they were standing over them. And then later, and and the jury convicted that person. And later it was the person was coming toward them. And so you're going to have different bullet trajectory." The assumptions that are made are so scary.
1: Well, luckily he they had an independent forensic, you know, examiner come in. Yeah. Luckily he had enough money to do that. So when they presented the case, they least like they we showed them our case, their case. Here's what's going on. This is a problem. And he said, keep in mind too, it's like they didn't even want to go to trial. Like they kept putting it off, putting it off, putting. It's it's years and they haven't dropped the charges, but they also haven't um, brought me to trial. So anyway, after about, he said after about two weeks, his attorney called him up and said, Hey, you're, you're a free man. They dropped the charges.
0: Great. Yeah. Done.
1: So he got, he got
0: one. Lo- they had to do a proper investigation, but two years. Yeah. That's a long time.
1: Well, I mean, ha- I mean, here's the thing. Like, had he not had a hundred thousand dollars.
0: Right. He would have been in, he would have felt, uh, he wouldn't have been able to, you know, meet with as many attorneys, um, he wouldn't have had the finances to to have an independent forensic. You know, a lot of times, if if you go with the public defender, the public defender has to ask the court. You know, this is what we need, and resources are very scarce. And so, you're not going to get the great the greatest experts. And a case can absolutely come down to experts who can have the best experts. It means and financial means. It makes a huge difference in criminal court. Sadly.
1: Um. Yeah. I listen to God. I mean, I'm, I'm sure a you
0: Okay. I mean, we've, se- we've seen some wild stuff on our show. You, you, you would love, uh, it's just, um, it blows people's minds. And I think there's such a trust of our criminal justice system. I think everyday people, they're busy watching these shows that uh, majority of them are showing. We caught the killer. we caught the person and they're behind bars and then everybody they watch the show and it's horrible what happened it's gruesome and somebody died but they caught the killer okay good that's a good story good night i'm gonna rest sally knowing our criminal justice system gets it right every time they're gonna catch the guy that is so far from the truth Mm -hmm. and our show is about exposing that it's about exposing when you jump to conclusions when you have investigators uh, who let's not even say, I mean, that's pretty shady stuff that the investigators of that would write. Oh, no struggle. What signs of a struggle like this? Let's say you just have investigators who think they're doing the right thing. Gosh, how many people are behind bars and convicted wrongfully because investigators thought they were doing the right thing? They had this hunch. It was this person. And so what happens is you get this, you know, tunnel vision and and Chris talks about it as investigators. He sees it happen and, you know, even he has been there where you follow You want to follow these leads all the way until something else comes up. But what's happening is oftentimes you get this tunnel vision. You don't see anything else. You're no longer questioning anyone else. And you're just jumping to what your experience is as an investigator, what majority of these cases show, and you're following that lead and you're making this circle try to fit in a And at the at the very end, you can get a jury to say, yeah, we can agree with you. Uh,
1: I was sorry. I was going to say I was called that like. Padding the padding a file, you know, where you right. just continually interview people that uh, believe the same thing you believe mm-hmm. you interview this person. Why? Because I know that this person told me this person told them this. Well, I want to interview them. I interview them because well, so what I start interviewing only people that are in agreement. The moment somebody else says, well, this person doesn't think they did it. I do a cursory investigation. I bolt. So it's one page as opposed to these six these six different interviews. They're five and six pages deep. They're all sure. They all know something. But this one guy who said, yeah, but what about this? That's two paragraphs. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I leave and I didn't that. And anybody he mentioned in there, I didn't follow up on any of the mm-hmm. things. He mentioned, I don't follow up on. So by the time you're done with your file, it's super thick with "this is the guy," mm-hmm. and here's why. Mm-hmm. As a, and you've got maybe one or two people that disagree, but they're they're three paragraphs on a couple of pages, and
0: and a great example. I just saw this uh, really good. Uh, it was a Netflix missing episode, and it, they basically had been searching for a suspect for a really long time. This is a case out of Japan, and it was this British woman who was. Um, missing in japan and there was this investigation but it was going cold and what they end up seeing is when they finally they get all this pressure right prime minister from britain comes and they get all this pressure from japanese um you know higher ups and so now they're taking a second look at the case and so when these investigators who are tasked with going back to take that second look they see this part where somebody has this really strong lead it says so uh, uh, a manager at this place that this guy would come in and he had complaints about this guy from many of the women but then there's the investigator's conclusion and he fails to follow up and says, this manager typically tells lies and is unreliable and has issues. I guess they just had issues with him in general. So they just dismissed what he said. In the end, that lead led, was the suspect. And so they went back and they looked at that lead and it but, but this is months later, um, I think years later. So in the meantime, more people, more women are missing. And who knows what he was doing in that in the meantime. The problem is when you have an investigator who has this bias and isn't looking at every lead and just says, well, I know this guy, I have experience with him, he's unreliable. Well, then nobody else is going to follow up on that. It's so dangerous. It is so dangerous.
1: I interviewed a guy when he was 16 years old. One of his classmates was killed maybe half a mile or a mile from his house. And he was kind of an odd guy. Like, he's hes like, you know, I was, I had friends. He said, I had friends, but they weren't in school. Like, they were kids around the neighborhood. So I was a little bit of a of a loner. Well, the the homicide detectives went and talked to several of her friends at school. And they had a psychological profile done by the FBI. And it said it's probably one of his her classmates, probably somebody that knows her, probably a loner. And when they were told that to the kids, they all pointed. They were like, oh, what about this guy? He has a couple classes with her. They've said hi to each other. They don't really know each other very well, but he's a a loner and he's kind of a little odd. They go, they grab him. They bring him to the police station. They question him for eight hours. The detective tells him it's not, not videoed, not recorded. Mm -hmm. And this goes on for off and on for about a month finally they get him in there and they question him one day they polygraph him they tell him he failed the polygraph and they and the detective that's been acting like his buddy after about eight hours he said I'm literally I'm in tears I'm crying they're telling me this is what I did they've got a polygraph Our they're telling confession me this oh. coming. and he goes ahead and he he says look I'm holding off the other detectives from hurting you they want to hurt you for what you did Tell him something, and you can go home. Just tell him something, so I can get you go out of go home. So go I, home.
0: Famous last word.
1: So he 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 said. So I I I tell him based on all the things that they had said, I kind of knew what happened, and I tell him. So he said, in the meantime, of course, I said, I I you know, I go to jail. He said, well, I, I'm well, my mom's got, a, have got like a single mother. She didn't have any money, so he stays in jail for the whole duration. When he goes to trial, so once he's in jail, he says, I didn't do. Listen, false confession. So he goes to trial. By the time they go to trial, they get the DNA back. And it says it's another, it's not his DNA. Well, now what they they say is, well, the girl was promiscuous, even though nothing said that. Keep in mind, his public defender's trying to tell
0: him. She had intercourse earlier that day, but then this guy came. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we've heard that.
1: And he must have used a... Epilogue or something.
0: That was actually the Central Park vibe I think they tried saying too. Oh well, this other guy said he did it, and there was his DNA. Oh yeah, but then these guys came upon her and then killed her.
1: Okay. Despite all of the evidence, he's found guilty, mm-hmm. goes to trial. He fights and fights and fights for 16 years. Finally, the Innocence Project comes along. Wow. They turn his case down three times, by the way, because mm-hmm. they're like, "He's DNA." Or, or no, no, I'm sorry, there's not DNA. There was, they're like, you know, he he, he signed a confession. He confessed. That's hard, yeah. It's hard. So, you know, he's been turned down. He's gone all the way through the appeals process. He's been turned, been turned down by like the Supreme Court wouldn't even listen to the case. Like, no, we don't have enough here. So finally, he gets a low-level assistant to say, look, all he's asking for is that you test the DNA against the current DNA because there was no, there was no database when he was found guilty no mm-hmm. database to check it again they just checked it against him it wasn't him mm-hmm. so they said okay fine they put it in the system and comes back to a guy who was 29 years old at the time uh, kind of a vagrant drug addict Indur- and the girl currently in prison for murdering a school teacher with two kids so while you guys focused on me and put me in. He
0: went and killed another
1: woman. And killed someone else. Mm-hmm. So even though all the evidence said that it wasn't me, mm-hmm. you had you. It, here's what bothers me is it's not just him. It's not just like a detective. It's two detectives, uh, probably a few prosecutors.
0: Oh, absolutely. Ju- like- and, I, I, and was anybody else charged for that, you know, for convicting and, and going after the wrong back, you'll never see it you'll never see a da charge you'll i mean you have to have some major misconduct, but just lacking in experience lacking in skill lacking in wisdom in your investigation you're not going to get fired you're not going to see any discipline you're not going to go to jail no, no they're just gonna sweep it right under the rug and just say well that happens hey you know what listen evidence was pointing towards you we followed the lead until it landed us, and and it's just nobody's held accountable. But guess who suffers? This person who, you know, because they had tunnel vision, sixteen years of his life, his whole life, really. Because you never come back from that.
1: Yeah, he was. He got out when he was like thirty-two years old. You know what's so funny is is, you know, some, and, and look, I get it. You got out. Uh, I'm I'm glad. It's you know, thank God that happened. I think that's rare that they correct a situation like that. And a lot of people would, you know, law enforcement would typically say, well, the system worked. No, the system didn't work. That's very rare. You fought like tooth and nail will keep him in prison. You never re-looked at the investigation and never even considered it. But, you know, the problem with this guy is, you know, listen, he's 30. He gets out when he's what? 32, 33. When they came to tell him it took, he said, it took 45 minutes to an hour for the the lawyer that came to see him in prison to convince him that this was really happening like he's like i right. just i was sitting there going no 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 he's that they haven't tested it yet she's like no they did test it. he's like no it won't be tested till, for like a month yeah. he goes and then even if they test it and they find out it's not mine and she's like they've already tested it it's not yours he, he goes even if that happened he goes they're still going to retry me i'm not getting let out and she's like you are getting let out you're going to be released tomorrow you have a court date tomorrow and he's arguing but with that her
0: mentality makes so much sense because you were you were innocent from the start and nobody's hurt you right. right and then and, and then you've got nothing but
1: well, fail
0: maybe when i get to the trial somebody will believe me right because our system has to work and then you get to that phase and you you now you're convicted okay well maybe the appeal will, will work okay well yeah. then you lose your pills now it's 60 years later. Of oh, course. No, the system's rigged against me. There's no way I'm ever getting out. This it's his mentality, and the trauma that the way it is completely it's taken as adolescence. It's taken those years that were most crucial in career, everything, family. It, it's all that remains is the shell of a person who now feels like there is a dark black cloud over them, and there is because all of society has labeled them already a loner murderer. Um, it's it's really devastating to see. Did you know a third, one-third hey, of DNA...
1: He's, sorry, he's talking at CrimeCon in uh, in September, if you want to see him in our, in Orlando.
0: Oh, yeah, CrimeCon. Like, yeah, we're not going this year. We were there last year. Hey, CrimeCon, what's up with that? Um, one-third. A third of DNA of, of exonerations that resulted from DNA, so a third of DNA exoneration, um, involved false confession. And so that's a big amount. We're talking... These people were exonerated by DNA, but there was a false confession involved. So, you, it, it, I don't think people realize you're put in a room, you're being grilled for hours, you're being told you did something, or you're being befriended and told you'll go home if you just right. give them what they need. You, you're being withheld food, restroom breaks, it's cold, whatever it may be, whether they're using the re technique on you, whether they're using, um, you know, violence to coerce you. False confessions exist. And a third of DNA exonerations prove that. So it's really scary. Um, But no, our system's not perfect. Investigators are not perfect. There's problems every day, which is why a show like Reasonable Doubt or any other wrongful conviction show, wrongful conviction podcast with Jason Flom, all of those are so necessary to educate our community, educate um, citizens who are all possible jurors, that you have to really look at the bigger picture here. You have to question everything. And- hopefully hold account, uh, you know, more, uh, I feel like now there's a little more accountability, a little more, we're getting there with genealogy testing, DNA advancements, all of those things, um, you know, shows like ours, shows like uh, podcasts out there. I do feel like now prosecutors are being, uh, at least they know, look, you got to do the best job we possibly can, because this can come back and it's not going to look good. The problem is, you're also not going to be, you're not going to be criminally charged.
1: Or, right. It doesn't matter. Listen, civilly
0: you know because you're protected if you sue if they sue it's not you they're suing the police department they're suing the government
1: so in in my particular case I won't go through the whole thing but I you know do you do federal no oh man because state's so much more fair well I mean I feel I, so. I
0: don't want to mess with federal I I dappled in the beginning of my career and um it was too much. It was too heavy. I mean, I was young, too. I think I, when I was, became an attorney, like 26 years old, and I'm just like, this is a lot. Um, and I, of course, I've always done state work. And, and, you know, you get familiar. I think it's really important that an attorney that you hire is familiar with your local courts. It's familiar with the judges, the DAs they're working with. You know, doesn't not everything has to be completely adversarial. You want somebody who knows what they're working with. Um, I work in all these different counties here in San Francisco, Alameda. And there are counties I just won't go to because people say, you know, can you represent me over here on this county? now too conservative for me? And I don't want to work. I I know what I'm going to get in this County. That County is going to throw the book at you and it's just exhausting. And I'm coming in with these expectations that I'm, it's not going to happen because I practice in more liberal counties. I mean, I'm in the Bay area of California, right? It's a great jury pool to have. Um, But yeah, you, there are, I've, Thankfully, got to pick and choose. And I've never done public defender work. I've always done private defense work. So, which means I also have had the privilege of choosing my cases. Um, I work here in my office building, is with people who were formerly public defenders. I bow to them. They are amazing. Um, but, you know, they've had to take cases that they may not want to take or that they don't believe in. And it's really hard, or they're just, they were drained. You
1: know? Right. Uh, I was good. So, in my case, Um, you know, I got 26 years for bank fraud and my, you know, the U S attorney said, Hey, if he'll be interviewed, if if he'll be interviewed by Dateline, we'll consider that substantial assistance and we'll reduce his sentence. And so, okay, I'll be interviewed. Of course I have, I'm super guilty. Like what choice do I have? So I was interviewed (laughs) and You know, they I was interviewed and they aired the program, and my lawyer goes and says, Hey, he was interviewed, they aired it. You said you'd reduce the sentence, and she goes, I know. The prosecutor said, I know, it's just not enough, but you said you'd consider it substantial assistance. I did consider it, and it's not. So, yeah, so then there
0: was nothing in writing, huh?
1: No, oh no, it's it's I got I got you there. So, here a second time it comes back, and they say, you, um, there's a TV show that wants to interview Mr. Cox. It's called, uh, it's called uh, American greed. Uh-huh. And i um, they said, will you be interviewed? If he's interviewed, will you consider it? She says, well, I mean, obviously I can't promise you anything, but yes, I will definitely consider it between the dateline and this show. Obviously we'll consider it substantial assistance. She, so he, she's like, what choice do you have? I go, well, can we get it in writing? She says, what choice do you have? You know, you got to do it. Like I'm already in prison. I got 26 years. What choice do I have? I say, oh, I'll go screw you. I'll just do my 26 years. No, I'm going to try. So I do it. I've got to hope for the best, right? I go, I do it. it. They air the show. They come back. And the prosecutor says, it's just not enough. Wow. So then I'm approached by a company. Uh, all mortgage brokers and loan officers in the country have to do, I think it's nine hours of continuing education every year. So three hours of it is be- it's, um, ethics and fraud. Mm-hmm. So I was approached by, uh, by a national company or you know, a school that teaches those courses and said, we wanna write a course on you. He flies up to Atlanta, meets with my US attorney, meets with my attorney, my public defender, who's still representing me for some reason at this mm-hmm. point. And she meets with her and she says, absolutely listen, I'm just trying to pile some stuff up here to present to the judge. I mean, this is absolutely, this will do it. I do the course. They use it. We get a bunch of letters. We go back to the U.S. attorney and she says, not enough. She said, you know, the problem is, is that these sentencing guidelines are based on, on someone cooperating where people have been indicted and mr cox just doesn't have any indictment so i have no way to really file a rule 35 so i mean that's just the way it is i can't file one if there's no indictments mm-hmm. and she's like well that's not what you've been saying you said you would mm-hmm. consider it she said i did it's just not enough okay. so i finally filed paperwork right i have a guy he files um a guy who was like was, was locked up with he was a lawyer and he was, I was locked up with him and he took on my case and he filed <laughs> i love that Oh, it's much better than you. Right. I can't even tell you. Like he's got 22 years. He's he's um, a rapid cycling bipolar that believes God is telling him he's preordained to be emperor of the world. Oh, oh.
0: See, Let's keep him behind bars.
1: Yeah. No, he got himself out. Um, <laughs> that was great. He got. That was terrifying. But it didn't. Oh, it's attend- like the,
0: the Lori Vallow's of the world. It's like, oh, like,
1: oh my god. I was say, but it didn't. do believe
0: she killed their kids for God
1: but it doesn't seem to affect his legal work, which doesn't say much for your profession. So he was running a medium-sized law firm out of the prison. He'd hired a bunch of, or not hired, but he'd trained a bunch of guys to do paperwork for him, write motions, and he wrote more complicated motions, like 2255s, things like that. So he takes all my case. And I, by the way, I contacted uh, several attorneys on the street, and they all said, you cannot, in your district, like this is in California, you're in the you're in the um middle Di- or northern district of georgia they're like you can't force them to reduce your sentence like, there's just no way he says no no i'm gonna get it done i will not let them do this to you i mean he's out there it's like okay so i remember he said when my legions march upon
0: washington <laughs> i
1: was like yeah hey, listen man i just want to get some time off
0: so listen some pretty smart people are pretty out li- there
1: so. listen he got
0: look at Elon Musk.
1: <laughs> he got seven. He got seven years knocked off my sentence. So in the federal system, for every 3,500 2,255s that are filed, one show, gives you relief. True. One yeah. actually provides relief for the inmate. Not not to get out of jail free, but any movement at all yeah. is relief. So one and I got seven years off. But wait, there's more. So as soon as I get back, I end up, I'm walking the compound. I got, I still got like eight, nine years to go, you know? So I'm walking the compound with this guy, this old con man. And he's, he's actually cooperating in his case and up against his co-defendants. And he keeps telling me that he's not, they're not going to reduce his sentence. And I'm like, well, why not? You're cooperating. You might even testify in a trial, you know? And he says, uh, ah, uh, you know, they think I've hidden Ponzi scheme or Ponzi money. He was a, Pon- he had a Ponzi scheme for like hundred thousand, hundred million dollars, sorry, hundred million dollar Ponzi scheme. He lost 57 million. So I'm like, ah, you didn't hide any, so don't worry about it. We're walking months go by. He mentions it a couple times. So file you, you keep saying that, but they would have to, they'd have to prove you had hidden the money. He goes, well, here's the problem. He said, can I, I remember he goes, can I trust you?
0: I, go, oh, I love the jail conversation. Jesus. And
1: I go, probably not. And he starts laughing. He goes, ha, 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 ha. and he said, I did hide money, but I gave money to my wife and my brother. And my fear is my wife found out. I know my he was like, my wife found out I was having an affair. And my fear is she's going to turn the money in to make sure I don't get any time off. And my brother, he's like a good Christian guy. And if they just ask him, he'll tell them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I was like, oh, really? Oh. I'm like, well, I'm sure that won't happen. So I had written a a, a memoir, my uh, you know, for myself. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to include some of the things that had been said at my resentencing. Cause I mean, they literally brought me back to like Atlanta and back, you know, to be resentenced. Mm-hmm. So I called my attorney. She was supposed to send me my transcript and never did. And I said, Hey, I need my transcript. You and she's like, Oh, Matt, I'm so sorry. Uh so she said, I'll send it to you. And then she, I remember she said, she said, so what's going on in there? And I went, nothing. What do you mean? And she goes, anything happening? And I went, well, I go, like what? And this was weeks after I'd had that conversation. She said, I don't know, just wondering how you're doing, if everything's okay. Is anything happening? And I went, I said, you know what? Listen to this. And I told her and she goes, well, let me look into it. Maybe that could help you. And I go, they didn't want to give me anything to begin with, you know? So, oh, so so, uh, like I said, that, that got like, you know, the guy, the crazy guy had got me seven years off. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so what happens is a week later, I get called into like, let's say, you know, it's called SIS, but you know, the Lieutenant's office. And he says, here, you you got a phone call. And I'm like, what's going on? So secret service agent, he said, I understand that, you know, where Ron Wilson hid Ponzi scheme money. Oh no, 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 no. I said I want something in writing mm-hmm. that says you will. I will get my sentence reduced. I go because it's not a lot of money. And I said I seriously doubt that you guys are going to are going to give him any more time. And I don't see you charging his wife or or charging anybody else in this crime. I said, but I do know where there's a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. And he goes, he said, well, I'll get back with you. So he ends up sending me. We I get him on my email system. He ends up emailing mm-hmm. me a copy of a letter from the U.S. Attorney saying if Mr. Cox provides information that leads to the recovery of funds or in, or leads to indictments, we will consider it substantial assistance. Now he goes, that's the best you're going to get. I said, that's fine. I tell him what happened. He goes and talks to the wife and the brother. They immediately give up half a million dollars. They indict them. Both of them get like, they got like six months probation, like 50 hours of community service, like something ridiculous, like nothing. And then the Wilson guy, he got six months added onto his sentence. So I'm thinking they're not going to give me anything. And sure enough, they don't give me anything. So I get the lawyer to file another 2255. And when we file the 2255, the government's response is, Mr. Cox says that he's been cooperating with us and and that he's been in communication with the U.S. Attorney's Office and that we agreed to reduce his sentence. We don't even know what Mr. Cox is talking about. We've never heard anything about this. We don't have any type of an agreement with Mr. Cox. We don't, we're not going to reduce this. And so I send, in one of our filings, we send the letter. See, what they didn't realize was that the Secret Service agent was going to forward me the letter, Mm. you know, Like they, what it it wasn't really a letter to me. It was a letter to them, to between them, where they said, "Look, you know, let you know, tell Mr. Cox, we agree, blah 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 blah." So I send that, and I'm like, "This is what he provided me." And sure enough, in the in it, he provided me, "Hey, this is what their your agreement is with the U.S. Attorney's Office. Here's a copy of the." Wow. Still, they could have they fought it, but this
0: Wilson knew not to trust you, and he did.
1: I mean, I don't feel bad for Wilson at all. I no, I, I sleep like a baby. Listen, I have no problem.
0: I mean, listen, I always tell people that the number one thing is, and that's the thing, right? In exchange, you receive something in exchange. And, um, you know, it's so funny when people get up, they want to, there's somebody in trial, they're coming forward from prison and they're, yeah, this is what he told me. It's like, no, I'm not getting anything in exchange. It's like oh, shit. really. Oh, you don't expect. Of course, I, I want something
1: in exchange. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen. In the situation that you're in, you do you do you go ahead and say something, or you just do your 20 years? Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, gonna do my 20. I, 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 I'm yeah. not doing my 20 years.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I didn't have 20 so years. How coming. much
0: did you get off? Uh, uh, more.
1: Five more years. Wow. But we had to fight for it. The guy had to file another 2,255. They go back. We don't know. It. Then we send the thing.
0: Uh, in. He's a good attorney.
1: Right. But here's the thing. That U.S. attorney has blatantly lied. You just told the court. You have no idea. Your name's on the... You sent this. You just lied to the court. Wasn't charged. Yeah. Well, no. Oh, absolutely not. No. Nope. And, and and we're not, oh, not yeah. talking about like it wasn't a casual. Oh, it slipped my mind. What are you talking about? This is an entire you've got a whole motion here. Yeah. We're actively fighting and lying to the court at the same time. So, right. you know, so when these people when people think. Oh, well, the government wouldn't. It? You can trust the government. You can. Listen, I had the Secret Service agent telling me, look, I promise you, you will get something. I said, man, cut it out, bro. I. I, I this isn't my first rodeo. I said, I right. know for a fact you can't promise me anything. Your yeah. word, no good at all. And he was like, wow. you know, I said, it is.
0: Look at that! I mean, imagine if you never met that attorney in that in jail.
1: Are you ki- listen? That guy got himself out. He's in Orlando right yeah.
0: now. <laughs> Did I say it,
1: I wrote a book on him about him. It's was <laughs> wow, it amazing. He's an ama- He's he's an amazing individual who is, listen, like most of the people I met in prison. Who are not mo- okay? Very few of the people I met in prison mm-hmm. who are brilliant. So I met uh, several people that are, are mm-hmm. friends that are brilliant, amazing people, but are are just deeply, deeply flawed individuals. You know, they have right. they have issues. You know, myself included.
0: Yeah, we all do. We all right. do, but especially yeah. I mean,
1: but your flaw didn't end that. you up in prison.
0: No, but statistics <laughs> show no, no. I mean, it just depends on how each person deals with trauma. It's very different, right? So you have your adverse childhood, uh, you know, trauma that occurs and some people take it one way. I mean, when I was younger, um, our middle brother died and my older brother was so angry by it. It was, it was a very violent sudden that my, my middle brother was hit by a train and killed. And um, I was younger and I took the pain and um, all the trauma and I think I, I turned it for good, because I said my situation, as far as why I became a lawyer, was witnessing the the case happen with my parents and how they're trying to sue um, the railroad. And i I'm, their attorney was just this gritty people's lawyer who worked so hard, and he was always disheveled and and chaotic, but he was just so such a hard worker, just a lover of people and helping them. And I remember thinking, I want to do that one day. Like, I want to be that resource for people who don't have a voice, right? I'm I'm Latina. I come from like this, um, you know, lower income community where my parents didn't really have the resource. So to have this gentleman come in and be their voice, like I saw how much it meant to our family. And I thought, I want to do that one day. I knew I always wanted to be a lawyer, but specifically a people's lawyer, right? Not corporate or anything like that. Um, But my oldest brother, um, who has also unfortunately recently passed away, Mm -hmm. Um, sadly, he had, he struggled in life with drugs, alcohol. um, And in the end, I think that took a toll on his heart. And that's what took him at the young age of 45 years old. But we're two two siblings, same pair, same upbringing. But what happens, you know, each, each adverse childhood experience, it's going to affect everyone differently. and. And it doesn't mean we're all built the same. And that's what I've come to understand and learn and love about my clients is I see them as my brother, as somebody who is a was a good person, a loving person, actually one of the best people. Because let me tell you, those people, they don't judge other people (laughs) because they're so they've got their own baggage. They just love on everyone. They won't judge other people like like those of us who think we have it all together. And so it's just a matter of and and statistics show that people who are going to end up in the criminal justice system have these ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and they just deal with it differently. It's it's traumatically affected that frontal lobe area that wasn't fully developed at a young age. And so all of those things, those childhood experiences you may not think are a big deal, but whether it's divorce, whether it was your mom not being present, constantly working, not having a caretaker, not being hugged, whatever it may be. That is, that is having an effect on you. And that does later affect whether somebody's going to end up in the criminal justice system or not. So yeah, we're all a little messed up, but it's just how we've handled that um, and how we've developed, how our brain develops. not necessarily our fault, um, especially when you've experienced trauma before the age of 18. It's really going to predict your future. So if we could look at individuals like that and at a young age, try to get them the help, the counseling, the resources, how the just a positive role model in their life. It could really make a difference. But, um, I don't know how I got up on that tangent, but anyway, <laughs> anyway I don't have uh much more longer. I, I do have to get on a few calls, but um, okay. it's been fun.
1: Yeah. I'll, um, if you email me your, you know, mailing address, I will mail you that book. Oh, I, and great. so I, and I promise like it's, it's not like an urban novel or anything. Like it's well-written. It's, okay. you know, it's, it's a good book. It's, you know, I've written several books. So
0: that's great. I hope uh, Chris was talking about his book that he's writing on, on your podcast. I haven't hit the author stage yet though. Um, But, but I have enjoyed, you know, Chris's book and, and a couple others. I got to, on our podcast, we had a crime and cookie juice for a while. Chris and I, um, and uh, we still have it. We're just on hiatus because we're working on another podcast. But um, we got to have uh, Justin Brooks, who was the California Innocence Project director and on. He recently wrote a book that basically, I think it's called, um, You Can't Go to Prison Even Though You're Innocent. <laughs> and he talked about a lot of his stories and, and how they overco- overcame it. Years later, people were getting out of prison. And it's it just, it's great to know that um, our, our system can right a wrong it just takes really long. And in your situation too, it takes a lot of perseverance and the right person to really fight for you. We have a lot of cases right now. Um, Chris and I are are specifically working on one case that was on our show years ago where a young man um, was convicted of shooting his girlfriend, tying his girlfriend up and shooting her in the head and leaving her in a basement and then going and taking her ATM and taking $300 cash out. Okay, This is beautiful young lover's there's no there's no issue of he leaves her for another girl. Nothing else. She's executed in her head and tied up, and they arrest him. There's a false confession involved, coerced false confession. Um, he has been um, he was charged back in 2011. He has been on home arrest for three years because they are giving him a new trial based on a, a, a something that that happened with a jury form. Um, we always believed in his case; believed he was innocent, and now um, they have found the suspect. A random, a random, uh, you know, like uh, just wanderer, a guy living out of his, uh, he was a a semi-truck driver living out of his truck, kind of like a wilderness man, just lived out of his truck, lived off the land. And he had, um, they finally tested this cigarette butt they had and they had ran it through the CODIS system, right? That's our national system, to see if it matched anybody. It didn't. But now, years later, um, they ran it through uh, the genealogy. Uh, they 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 used some to some yell, yell the and they found a relative and then they found him somebody who had spent time in the area now he was living out of state Montana and the murder occurred in Michigan Well, they found him and this has all happened okay Matt in the last month they they found him they were doing surveillance everything but in the last month this is what's happened they uh interviewed him he you know he says his story oh yeah I lived there whenever they were conducting surveillance They couldn't help but notice he would never leave any cigarette. He was still a smoker. Would never leave cigarettes behind. He knows now he's under surveillance. Finally, they get a search warrant. Finally. Uh, They can't find him. They can't locate him. But they locate his. He's now still living out of a a, a semi truck. They locate the semi. And what do they find?
2: Cigarette weapon.
0: The murder weapon from 2011. And that was found in 2023. He still had the gun. And it matched the ballistics. And they arrested him in the middle of transport. He escaped. <laughs> they found him in in a in a kayak in the middle of the, the, the river somewhere. They finally got him back to Michigan. They just uh, charged him. Um, he was just arraigned. And now, guess what? Our boy, the uh, the young boyfriend who ten years ago was charged with our murder case, hasn't been dismissed yet. Right? It was
1: good, I mean, because now they were just working together. Yeah. Now, you, yeah. It was your part. That was your part
0: he was 20 or t- and this guy was like 32
1: Where the oh, whole time were was, the whole time they were arguing he was a it was a he was the lone killer the whole time and now yeah, suddenly like no no they, they were working together
0: and, and the surveillance video of the guy who used the atm to get 300 dollars never matched our guy the the, the young man he was the little started a a he said it was just <laughs> a guy help so now we're like but you know what we laugh about it but but knowing what our system puts people through yeah, and knowing and knowing how these investigators and prosecutors don't want to admit they were wrong, uh, we are terrified because the case still is not dismissed. Are they going to get this guy to say that he worked with this young kid, college kid? But from the start, nothing added up the way the murder happened, all of it. But here he was years later. Here he still is, um, you know, uh, on. And finally, they just um, removed conditions and home arrest. And I think now he's just got an ankle bracelet on. But this poor kid needs to be exonerated. This kid needs to be declared innocent so that he can get his life back. So that's a case that Chris and I are currently working on, um, getting a so podcast.
1: Horrific about that is that the likelihood that people think, oh, well, it's it's, it's a done deal. You don't understand. Like, the uh, there's still a chance he goes to prison. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we're laughing about it. But just yeah. like I said, like everything's, oh, it's, it's ridiculous. Listen. People have gone to prison for in less ridiculous situations. They, like you said, they just don't want to say they messed up. Like, what's
0: the thing that? Look, from the start, nothing added up. Uh, what was taken from the home when she was killed? A bedspread and some clothing. Okay, we are talking about and now and and the person using the ATM looks like he's wearing one of the articles of clothing, and so now we find out he's more of a wilderness man, a person like who's homeless, living out of his truck. It makes more sense, right? But yet, here we are, still.
1: Yeah, that no, was uh, his. She was shopping.
0: Right, exactly. So, um, so that's what we're working on right now. Hopefully, we can get, um, you know, we can head to Michigan and do some interviews, uh, with with all parties involved. Hopefully, the new suspect may talk to us. I don't know. We'll see. As a criminal defense attorney, I would never want my client doing that, but you never know. Um, so that's what Chris and I are, are kind of chasing that case right now because we've been with it since 2018 and we always knew this young man was innocent but this is what you got to go through 2023 new suspect in custody but
1: well, doesn't mean do you have so do you have a podcast you're saying you're still working with chris but i mean do you have a podcast a second
0: well chris and i are always working together because we still have from reasonable doubt even though we no longer have a television show it was that is our passion and we did we do stand behind a lot of the people that were on the show. And so we have a case out of Washington, a case of Evaristo Salas. We have the Casey Gromman case out of Michigan. We have Glenn Simmons case. that's just released. We we constantly work with the family still and following up on the cases. I stay in touch with the attorneys on the cases. Um, so Chris and I are always still things are always happening with us. We did have crime and cookie juice and people can go. Um uh, and check it out on Spotify or wherever you get podcasts, Crime and Cookie Juice podcast, where we talk a lot about issues, um, how people do end up wrongfully convicted. Um, and we put that on hiatus because now with all these developments in this case that we followed for so many years, we we are in the process of making a limited series podcast on just this specific case. So separate from crime and
1: cookie juice. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, I was gonna say if you ever need, you know, any any guests or anything like I've got I've been doing this two years I got tons of them tons of them
0: well when we start up crime and cookie juice again absolutely we love to have some fascinating individuals on to talk about the cases um Russ would be one like we're super interested that takes a lot of time um and and preparation on our behalf because I do like to know what I'm getting into when I'm interviewing someone so once we can figure out what's happening with this one case that we're really passionate about getting this young man completely declared innocent then we'll go back to crime and cocaine juice yeah but i also am sitting here in my office and i have my legal practice and i have a full caseload. so it there's a lot <laughs> it gets a little overwhelming so
1: okay well i i will let you go i know you well, want to wrap it up i know you didn't expect like this, this much time so uh oh, keep, hold on give me one second one second uh, do you have any links or anything you want me to put in the description uh,
0: Sure, you could put uh, my Instagram, which is uh, at Fatima Silva ESQ.
1: Okay, well, I'll also have, um, we'll also put the link in the description too. So, hey, I appreciate you guys watching. Uh, Do me a favor, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell so you get notified of videos just like this. Also, um, leave a comment in the comment section. And in the description box, we're going to leave Fatima's uh, Instagram link. And in the meantime, if she comes up with any other links, maybe the Maybe a link to the um, the Spotify her her um, uh, the podcast uh, Crimes and Cookies Cookie Juice.
0: Yeah, huh? Crimes and
1: Cookies. Crimes and Cookie Juice. We might put that in there. I don't know. Check out the description box. I really appreciate you guys watching. See ya. Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I am going to be interviewing Chip Williamson. He runs a a, a YouTube channel called uh, Crime and Entertainment chip has a crime story so check this out so the well I mean obviously you know I know you because you interviewed me on your on crime and entertainment correct and you started that like how long it like you uh, like, year and
3: like half. a year and a half two years ago I don't remember the exact date on the YouTube because we were doing some audio only before that but I'd say roughly two years ago
1: so um and, th- and that started because of you getting arrested mm-hmm for the charge was was murder right it was
3: murder and possession of weapon during a violent crime yes sir okay
1: so i mean i'll um i mean we we will get into that but i mean let me let me start with like basically like the gist you know, at the beginning yeah where so where we where you were born like,
3: um i grew up in a town called darlington south carolina which is really known for not a lot but the racetrack right. um that's about all there is there uh to do anything any sort of nightlife or anything like that you had to go to a neighboring town Florence um, and I grew up there went to school there all the way up through graduation went to technical college to be a welder I uh, got my first I worked in radio for a little bit during that time and then I got my first welding job and then not long after that I met my wife or soon-to-be wife uh, we met there she had a daughter Which, when we met re- Where'd you meet her? It was actually at a club in uh, Florence. It was, uh, I remember like people older than me, I always hung out with people older than me. And they used to tell me this club called Murphy's that everyone would go to. Well, when I was on the cup, I was like 17 and some change. So not technically legal to be able to get into it, but you know, almost there, the club had burnt down. So when it got rebuilt, like just the hype with this club was unbelievable that everybody, you know, it was coming back up. And so we went, or I've been going every weekend since it opened. Well, she was from about 45 minutes out of town. But, you know, even up there, they knew that this club was supposed to be, you know, really cool. They remodeled a lot. And the weird thing was, like, the first week we was there, um, a classmate of mine seen her outside. One of the girlfriends that she come down with couldn't get in. And so they were having issues at the door, and my wife had her ID, so she's just standing there kind of waiting for us to play out, and she struck up a conversation with my classmate. So they wound up not even getting in that week. The following week, they come back in. She recognized the girl from the week before and is having a conversation with her. Well, me knowing the classmate, I'm like, who the hell is she talking to? Like, this girl's beautiful. Right. And so I waited till they separate, and I come straight up to her. I'm like, all right who was that? And she's like, Oh, that's my friend Felicia. She said, she thinks you were cute. And I'm just like, that's all I need to know. So, you know, went over there and run a little game. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history, but that, uh, spawned our relationship. We were together for about, I think seven or eight years. Then we got engaged. We got engaged quickly, but we got married after about seven or eight years. Uh, she had a daughter when we met that was three years old. So I've raised her now. She's 22 now. And then we wound up having a son who's now thirteen.
1: Okay, how so? Where'd you Where'd you end up living? I mean,
3: we stayed there um, for the most part until twenty ten, <clears throat> and um, at that point, I was working for a company called Newcore Steel, and it's a pretty big steel company. They're one of the biggest in the world, and I was working at a division in Columbia, which was about an hour and a half drive, but it was straight nights. I like just. Night shift. There was no swing shift. It was just straight nights. And I hated it, especially after I had my son. Like it was just, I was gone all the time. And even when you're home, you're just tired because you've been up all night, you know. And it was just not what, something I really wanted to continue with the career, but I didn't want to leave the company. And then they had an opportunity for uh, the same company, but a different mill in Charleston. So we made the uh, decision to move up to Charleston and we moved up here in 2010. Um, I got lucky because the housing market, you know, it just crashed recently. And so I was able to come in and get houses that were built, you know, a year prior for, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and get it for about half of what they paid for it. So that worked out. And then we all moved up here to Charleston and I started, I stayed with the same company was working at the one up there. The only difference there is you would work four days on and then you would have four days off. So essentially you only worked half the year. But it still would rotate nights to days, so I had some nights mixed in there, but nowhere near as
1: much as the other place that was like straight nights. Right, and uh, yeah, I've I'm, I've worked nights before. Yeah, I worked I, hated I worked there as a, a welder's helper for six months one time, and it was it was the night shift. It was was it eighty four hours a week or something like that. I mean, it was it was straight. It was it was yeah. every single day straight you know, you got a per diem, but it was just hell. It was, it was horrible. Like it, yeah. you, you, by the time you drive back home, it's just in time to go to sleep, wake up, make your lunch, jump yep. in the car, drive an hour and a half back. It's horrible. Yeah, horrible.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's awful. I mean, luckily we didn't have to, I mean, the plant was close, so we didn't have to worry about the per diem, but I mean, it, it was nice in the sense that you get your schedule for the whole year. So I could look at a paper and I know exactly what days I'm having off. So if I wanted to plan a vacation or whatever, you know, a, a trip, you could plan it inside of those four days and then you really wouldn't have to use vacation unless something just fell on a day where you were scheduled to work that you absolutely had or wanted to go to. So it was nice, and they were a great company too, and it is beneficial to the part we'll get into a little bit later on. Uh, Once a year, it's usually around March, I think it is, they give out what's called a yippee check, and it's basically a portion of the profits to every employee. Now, they weren't doing as great. Obviously, we talked about it was kind of the recession at this time, but they were still giving out about nine to 12,000 uh, per year. And that goes straight into your 401k. And then you get like a portion of that deposited to you. So maybe a thousand. I think it might have been like 2,000. And they tax it. So you wind up getting like 1,200 bucks, something like that. Well, as the economy started getting better, those checks started getting better. So I think one of the last ones that I got was like about 15 grand. So I mean that's that's nice to yeah, go straight just, into your
1: 401k. Just out of the just out of the blue.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, you know that you're going to get it. They they, they call it Yippee Day every year. Uh, that check's going to come. So a lot of people look forward for that. They call it the Yippee Day and then Black Day because right after Black Day is when people that are on the edge of retirement they make sure they get that Yippee check and then they go on about their business yeah. and retire. But uh, I mean it was a tough job, but you know fortunately I was able to build up my 401k pretty substantially. Which uh, drastically helped out in the situation I would come to find myself in a little bit later on.
1: Okay, so you're so you're living in Charleston. Everything's going good. Mm-hmm. And what's going on with? I mean, marriage is good. There's no problems. There's... It was
3: good. Um, I'd probably say if I had to put a pinpoint on like where things started, there was a, a Carolina Country Music Festival that was being held in Myrtle Beach. And it was kind of like their version of Woodstock. You know, there was, uh, I can't remember the people's names now, it was uh, Eric Church was going to be there, Lady Annabellum, Cole Swindell, just a lot of the top country singers at the time. Um, but they would start like middle of the day and then play up until, you know, late at night. And we seen this and we was like, ah, this would be a cool concert to go to. So we went down there and I actually went down on Thursday night. Another one of my buddies met me, my wife and a bunch of our other friends came down Friday but, like, it was pretty much just a drink fest type concert. Right. And Saturday, another one of my buddies that came late, he was like a uh, certified EMT. And he always tells me, he's like, you can't tell people I did that. So I can't tell his name. But uh, he's seen me and he's like, dude, he's like, you look awful. He's like, have you slept? And I'm like, not much. And he's like, I got something for you. And he goes down to the car. He brings back an IV bag. And he hooks up the IV bag to me, and I'm sitting there in the chair, and there's a picture. i have to see if I can find it and, and send it to you. But uh, I'm sitting there in the chair. I've got an IV bag hooked to me, and I'm still getting a beer in my hand. And then you can look on the counter behind me, and there's like every liquor bottle you can think of on the counter behind me. So it was a good time. But now following that, well, we he, go home. He
1: gave you the IV to, because he felt like you just had too much alcohol in your system. And- yeah. But yeah. you wanted to keep drinking.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. wanted to keep going. Right. So from what I understand, they do that in Vegas quite often. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, we finished this weekend. The last concert was on Sunday night, and so get up Monday morning, head back. Now, mind you, I haven't been home since I left work to go down there. So I've got a lot of stuff I got to do to get ready. You know, wash clothes, get ready, to go to work next morning. Had to be to work at six in the morning. So I'm leaving my house around 5. Getting the car, heading to work, and there's really no other way to put it, I just got sleepy mm-hmm. and went off the road. You you always have that sound when you go off the road that you notice yeah, like oh yeah. shit, you know. But it was like I heard that sound for like 2 seconds and then I heard like a baseball bat hitting a light pole, I and mean, it was
4: bow,
3: And at that point I could tell that I was airborne. And like for a minute, there was nothing. It was like I was floating, and I was just like, "Where did I run off a cliff? Like, what the hell's going on?" And it was just bam, 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 bam. Where did you hit. They were they were extending out a road, making it a two lane into a, a single lane into two lanes on each side. So they were digging out with the backhoe. I hit the area where they stopped for the I guess for the day or for the time period. And when I went off, I hit like a huge section of concrete that was just there just sitting there. And when I hit it, it basically sent the car in like a torpedo mode. So I was flipping corner to corner, not end over end. And so I finally, the car finally comes to a stop. It's sitting upside down on another car. And that was the only thing that I could visually see because it was dark. I seen the windshield of that other car, but at the time I didn't know if I was on the road. So I'm like, I might've just killed somebody. You know, I right. was really nervous, but I have a seatbelt on. It's probably the only thing that saved me really. I, and I typically don't wear seatbelts, but I did that morning. So I'm trying to brace my below my head. So when I undo my seatbelt, I don't fall on my neck. Right. As I'm doing that and wiggling, it rolls off the truck onto the side. So now it's sitting like this with me in the top portion of yeah. the driver's seat. So then I get out, the windows are all busted, but I had 10 on the windows. So they're not like shattered everywhere, which was good. So I rolled it down and I was able to literally just climb out of the top. So I climbed out and I looked like the first thing I seen was like the driver's side front wheel was completely gone, wasn't there. And I get up there, I'm kind of sitting around, I'm trying to get my bearings and this car comes riding by and he's like, dude, are you all right? And I said, I think so. he's like, you need me to call somebody? And I was like, I said, yeah, I guess just call an ambulance, you know, maybe something's wrong that I haven't figured out yet. You know, I don't know. And he's like, well, you don't need me to stay, do you? I was like, nah, I don't know if he was drunk or what he was, but I was just like, nah, go ahead. Just call him for me if you don't mind, because I didn't know where my phone was. So I was trying to pick out, like, the best place to hop down, because I was like, I don't want to live through this wreck, hop down, then that car move again and fall on me. Yeah. So I got down. I went. My phone was actually in my pocket. I didn't, never took it out, so I knew where that was. I walked up to this house, and the house was real distinctive. It was one of those houses where the whole house looked like a roof and it come all the way down to almost like mid, you know, mid level. But it was, it was a very odd built house. And I remember like looking at it as I walked up, like, wow, this is a crazy looking house. So I knocked on the door and the dude comes and he's like, yeah. And I'm like, "Uh, man, I just had an accident out here with your uh, pickup truck. And he's like, huh? I said, I landed on top of your pickup truck. And he's like, man, that's my wife's truck. She's had that thing since high school. And I'm like, well, now. my bad, bro. <laughs> and he just shuts the door. Just shut it. He didn't say, you okay? You want a drink? Anything I can do for you? You know, a cold rag, nothing. He just shut the door and walked away. So I'm like, all right. guess he's going back to bed. So I was waiting. The ambulance got there. Looking around, it's like, you know, where's the driver? And I'm like, I'm the driver. And he's like, where's the passenger? I'm like, there wasn't any passengers that I know of. It was just me. I guess they couldn't believe that that wreck I was walking around because I'll show you some pictures of this wreck. It's insane. Like, every part of the car is dented in, moonroof blown out, front bumper completely gone, tire completely gone. I mean, it was a mess. Like, even when we went later on to pick it up from the record, a guy asked how the driver was, and I was like, you're looking at him, he's like, oof, figured you'd have been gone. But this started a situation that I had to deal with my back because I really did get hurt. It wasn't something that was hurt like right off the bat, but it did develop me a lot of back problems that I still deal with. Did you go to the hospital? Yeah, I went to the hospital. I called after I was waiting when he shut the door on me. I called my wife and let her know. Then I called my job and obviously let them know that I wouldn't be coming in. And the ambulance got there and my wife was on the way. So by the time she got there, it looked a lot worse because – they're transporting me to the hospital. So they've got me on a board. They've got tape wrapped around my head. Yeah. They've got a neck brace on. I mean, I'm just I look like I'm, you know, in bad shape. Yeah. And she's panicking. She's like, Oh my God. And I'm just like, no, it's it's cool. They're just it's just precaution. Like I was literally just standing up two minutes ago. So we go to the emergency room and they run tests and x rays and the guy comes back out and he's like, I don't know what your religion is or who you pray to. He's like, but just keep it up, it's working. I was like, all right. But then like a week later, I started, which I knew I was going to be sore the next couple of days anyway. That's always how wrecks are. Yeah. And I started developing some pain in my lower back. And it's like my L4, L5, L5, and S1 are just really, really damaged back there. And since then, I've been using different techniques to try to help it, different shots, cortisone shots. I mean, different things. They're saying it's not imperative enough to go in and, require surgery to do it because then you're going to have a permanent discomfort for the rest of your life. But if we can manage it to where you can, you know, get by without having to do it, it's better this way. So those are the steps I've been following since then. But that particular incident kind of started a chain reaction because I was out of work for a little while. Uh, The job that I had got filled. I still had a job in the company, but the particular job that I had, that time got filled, so I had to come back and take another job, which wasn't as desirable because there's, I mean, this plant's got like five different divisions in the plant. I mean, there's hundreds of jobs. But the one that I had originally, I really, really liked. And I wound up having to go to another one. And that was kind of, I would say, what started the ball rolling uh, on problems. And then what really kicked it into high gear was I had a friend of mine. He lived two houses down from me. This is a community much like, you know, the one we're in. Everybody's real close-knit. And we had a group of friends that would get together on the weekends. And we our kind of tradition was we would go on Fridays to a Mexican restaurant, hang out for a little bit, then go back to one of our houses in the group and just hang out in the garage and chill out, you know. Well, this one particular Friday, I could tell that the guy and his wife wasn't getting along, and which, I mean, I ain't going to say that was unusual, but they didn't, they didn't do it a lot to the point you go say, oh, well, there they go again. Yeah, yeah. And, but I mean, great dude, anytime I'd ever met him, always offered, you know, to bring something or, you know, great mood, wife, two kids, good job, off on Fridays, had a Harley bike, boat, drove a Mercedes. Like if you were to say, give me a life as a 40 something year old man, that's the guy's life you want. Right. And so we leave there, we go to a friend's house. We're all sitting around. You could tell he was probably drank, you know, one or two more drinks than usual. And... My wife calls me. She's actually at another friend of ours house. It's like right around the corner. And she's like, hey, come over here and, you know, hang out with us for a little bit. So I was like, all right. So I told everybody there by literally like down the street to the right. That's where they live at. So I'm there maybe 15, 20 minutes. We're talking. And then all of a sudden you hear the scream. And but we have a lot of kids in our neighborhood. So we weren't sure if it was kids playing or whatever, because it wasn't super late, maybe 10 o'clock. And then the more you heard it, you could tell it was like it was a serious style scream, like something was wrong. And I remember it real, real vividly because the the song Johnny Cash Hurt was playing on the radio. So it was like it kind of gave it more eerier feeling right. than, than normal because I remember thinking like, God, and every time I hear that song, I think about this. But so we go out and there's only from that guy's house we were at, there's only like three houses up into to the neighborhood. But the first house is the couple that I was referring to. So it's only like a two-house gap between them and their house. So I go running up, and there's this woman rolling around in the ground, just screaming, screaming to the top of her lungs, can't stop. If she does stop, then she takes a breath and starts screaming again.
1: Is this your buddy's wife? Yes. I didn't know it at okay. the time. I, for
3: whatever reason, the guy who housed that I was with, he went straight in the house. I don't know what prompted him to do that, but I thought because there was a car stopped, I think just trying to figure out what was going on, I was thinking maybe there was a domestic something, guy hit a girl, she's rolling around on the ground, something like that. So I go to the girl on the ground. Once I roll her over, I realize it's the couple that we were with at the Mexican restaurant. But she's already in, like, night clothes. I just left. They were in, you know, street clothes. And I was just like, what the hell is going on? And she's like, he did it. He shot himself." And I was like, who? And she said his name, and I was like, oh. So I went, go running in the house, and the way his house was set up, you come in, you had a dining room to the left open area living room to the right and then kitchen was like open to the dining room and i seen uh, a pair of feet like hanging out and when i cut the corner the other friend of mine whose house we were at you know before when all this happened he was already at his head he had his shirt off he had like wrapped it around his head and at the end of the day what had happened was the guy put a gun in his mouth and he committed suicide And Matt, when I tell you, this was the worst thing I'd ever seen in my life. Like I'd never seen nothing like it before. I've been with, I've been with family members that are older and and passed away. So I've seen death and I've seen people die, but that was, that's different. Like this was, it was just, I still, I get more nightmares about that than I do anything um, that I've went through since then. And I think that was just something that kind of started me on a downward spiral. I'd say probably a depression too and it led to me and my wife kind of arguing a great deal.
4: He's been known to cure insecurity just with his laugh. His organ donation card lists his charisma. His smile is so contagious. Vaccines have been created for it. He is the most interesting man in the world. I don't typically commit
1: crime, but when I do, it's bank fraud. Stay greedy, my friends.
4: Support the channel. Join Matthew Cox's Patreon.
1: You didn't know, you knew the couple you'd had dinner with, but you weren't, like, were they a part of your group? Yeah, um, I'd only recently met him, I'd say probably like two months.
3: So we hadn't known each other, you know, like I said, years and years, but it, the it, he was just one of them people that as soon as he come in, he was going to click with whatever group he was with.
1: You know, he's just, super he nice just so. So, what did you find out happened? He just walked in there, pulled the fucking gun, like were, were there? Well,
3: remember, I told you, I could tell they were arguing at the dinner, yeah. and from what I know, they had some arguments earlier on in the dinner, um, and there was a lot of stuff, I guess, behind the scenes that people didn't know, and it boiled over that night, and it was a situation where he had apparently threatened to do this a couple times, and so it was, you know, probably thought it was that again, but this time he actually went through with it. But this, I mean, he had never said that around any of the guys that right. have been with him, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm battling, I'm struggling, you know, that was never done. So obviously you hear that you're thinking, well, he's probably doing that to control the woman. Right. Which is, you know, sadly, some people do that, you know, they'll threaten that to, to keep a woman under control. But like, if I had had to put money on any of my friends doing it, he would have been the last one to do it. Cause I mean, like I said, he had on the surface, he had everything you wanted for, for a guy at his age.
1: Um, so, okay. So that slowly started leading to, you know, you and your wife start having problems. Like what are those arguments over?
3: Uh, at the time drinking, um, I just didn't want to be home. I felt like if I was home, I was just going to sit there and be miserable. And it was, you know, and a lot of it was my fault. I'll, I'll square the, the shoulders on a lot of it you know, put the blame on my shoulders. Um, you know, it, we had had issues from before, not, not, I shouldn't say issues, but we had had petty fights about stuff, but like for, you know, how women are, sometimes they will come back up right. later on. And I'm not that type of guy. Like when we put a problem or an issue to bed, I don't want to bring it up again in six months. Yeah. yeah. You know, and sometimes that would happen. And it was just like, it was getting to the point to where I told my wife, I was like, you know what? We need a break. And, and I thought it was the the right thing to do. I didn't say, you know, it's over you know, don't ever want to see you again. I eventually, led to that uh, we were going to get a divorce, but at first we was just like, "Hey, we need a break. We need to separate." And once we separated, I let her stay in the house that we were living at, and I moved into someone's house that was still in the neighborhood that was around the corner. And I told him, I was like, or told her, I was like, "Look, I said if you start seeing somebody, like you got to let me know because I'm not going to be paying the bills at this house and." another dude coming over sitting on my couch and watching ESPN on my TV. Right. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? so eventually that did start to happen. She did meet somebody and I figured she would meet somebody. I mean, my wife's a a great chick, you know, and I put, she's got her, uh, she went and got her master's. She just recently got her doctorate. So like, she's very smart. Um, and she brings a lot to the table. So I knew if she started to be actively looking, it would not take long for someone to jump on that. So I didn't even have a problem with the guy, you know, doing that. If I would have, been in his situation i would have jumped at the chance too so when this happened this is around this is in 2017 the guy's suicide was in like august july august this is around november when she tells me that you know she met someone and i'm just like all right well you remember the transition i told you you know you got to slide on out wherever you goes up to you and november the first it was the day after uh, halloween i remember we went over there and took my son trick-or-treating and then the next day, she moved out to another house. Um, the way our neighborhood is set up, you got like five different communities. So you have mine, which is like old rice. Then you have you know two or three more all the way back. I mean, it goes for miles.
1: Yeah, that's and, like this one. You yeah. saw all the different subdivisions yeah. all located in one massive community. Right,
3: and that's exactly what we are. And she moved in one about three subdivisions back. And I mean, I broke her balls for a little bit about him. Like you couldn't have moved like, you know, 10 minutes away, you know, something like that. And then I got to bump into you at Publix or something, but you know, it it still wasn't a hateful. It wasn't like we hated each other. And you know, that was the situation. I mean, she was doing her thing. She met the guy, the guy moved in, I was doing my thing. Um, and it was what it was. We were going to get a divorce. Did Um, you, did you know the guy? No, I had no idea who he was. He was not from around here. He had recently moved here and, uh, so, we were going forward with everything. We agreed we were going to get a divorce, um, partly because I could give her some of my money from my 401k. And I was actually, it was kind of a workaround for me. I was going to pull more out, agree to pull more out than what she wanted. And then she was going to give it back to me. Right. So, if she only so wanted have to pay to, the fees, right. Don't like, have to pay right, the fees and all that. It was a way for me to kind of get an early withdrawal, basically, a little workaround. So, if the IRS is listening, that didn't happen. So, we're good. That's fine. No <laughs> um, harm, no foul. Uh, so that was the plan. So I hired a divorce attorney. Um, and we just really didn't talk until around the month of December. Uh, we were trying to figure out like how we were going to do things with the kids and you know, who was going to go where, what was going to go, what, and we we're just talking. I'm like, you know, well, how's things going with you? And she's like, eh, not too good. This, that and the other. And you know, I was just kind of, you know, messing with her. I was like, I told you, you know, you're going to have a hard time trying to find somebody that's going to put up with all your shit, you right. know? And, and uh, slowly but surely, we started kind of talking again. But I think we both weren't sure if it was something we wanted to restart, but there was definitely still love there, you know, and
1: that's that was normal. Yeah, that's very common. Yeah. I was actually saying that to to Connor. I was like, you know, guys will like, you can have a breakup and then you'll, it's funny, even pe- couples that are at each other's throat. You still every couple of weeks you might get that phone call, like, can you come over? You know, you're like yeah. You're like, fuck. Yeah. You come over, you stay the night, you get up and leave the next morning. Next thing you know, two weeks later, even though you're seeing somebody else, you know, there's that slight overlap until you get to a point where you're like, one of those two people says, Yeah, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah. I'm with this person. This is over. Like, but there's usually that kind of you know, or even sometimes it's, it's just a matter of this person has been in your life so long, things happen and you need somebody to tell, Yeah, you know, so you tell the person that you were closest to, even though it's not working out.
3: Yeah. And that was, that was a lot with me and her, like, you know, we've had a lot of people pass away in, in her family, um, her dad, who was hugely important in her life, uh, he passed away and that was like, really put a number on her, um, later on her aunt suddenly shockingly died. She had a, a brain tumor. And the, their family structure, she was only just a couple years older than my wife. So even though that was her aunt, they were more like sisters because the time gap wasn't, a, or age gap wasn't very huge. They both had daughters that were the same age. So, you know, we've been through a lot together. And, and I think to your point, that's exactly what it was. that sometimes, you know, you just need family. Yeah. And or, and people that, you know, you know, your backstory and aren't going to judge you for it. And you know, things that's happened. And I think that was a lot of what led us back together because there was no doubt we loved each other. It was just to a point to where it was becoming that Pam and Tommy relationship. Right. You know? And, uh, well, we kind of was seeing each other on and off and that lasted through Christmas. Um, we seen each other a little bit through Christmas and, Fast forward to that kind of went off and on for the next couple months. Then we got to Easter. And at this point, the guy was living with her at her home. He had then moved out. I think in January, he left to go back home and was going to stay home. I'm not sure what happened and home for him, I think was Pennsylvania, I think. But something happened and he didn't wind up staying and he came back. But when he come back, he didn't live there. Now he would still come, but he didn't live there. And when it got to around Easter, I was just like, look, you know, if we're going to do this, let's do it. Let's give it a shot. Let's put everything we got into it. Cause it's probably be like one and done. If we don't get it this time, you know, it's probably time to push the chips in. I was like, but he's going to have to go. You're going to have to tell him, you know, you're coming back here. Just tell him, you know, and that was kind of what set everything in motion because we were together for a whole weekend. We went to her mom's for Easter weekend We went to Myrtle Beach, stayed up there for like four days. And then we come back on a Thursday, come back on a Friday, Friday. And my son had a soccer game the next day on a Saturday. And I was like, all right, are you going to tell him, you know, tonight everything, what was going on? And she's like, yeah, I'll tell him. So at the soccer game, I'm sitting there and she comes up and I was like, well, how'd he take it? And he's like, he didn't take it. She said, he came in, said his head was killing him. He went straight to bed. Now, this guy was a former vet, and he had had diagnosed PTSD. So some of the meds that he was on, when he would come home, he would take them and just pass right out. Right. And I don't know all the names of the meds and stuff that he was on, but that's generally what would happen. So she said, all right, I'm going to tell him today. And I was like, okay, you know, you let me know what's going on. And you know, just keep me in the loop. If you need me, call me. Let's fast forward to... I'd say probably about 6 o'clock. She said she told him, and he was pissed, and he left, and he grabbed his dog. He had a service dog. And she's like, but I know he's not gone because he's still got to come back to get all of his stuff. And I'm like, all right, well, you might better go back there because if he sees you here, then he's really going to get pissed. And so this is probably like 8 or 9 o'clock. I'm with some friends of mine around the corner. The same guy. We're going to circle back around to the same guy that I was with the night that my friend shot himself. Right. He calls me and he knew what was going on. He knew the situation because he's a good friend of mine. He knew that we had split up. Then he knew we were about to reconcile, but he also knew about the other guy. And he called me and he was like, hey, where are you at? And I said, I am at a friend of mine's around the corner. He knew the guy's name was Nate. And uh, he said, well, if you come by here and you see the guy's, uh, I don't really remember what I want to say his name, but he was like, if you see those truck here, um, you know, don't stop. And I'm like, all right, well, you want to give me a little bit more on that? You know, what's going on? And he said, well, they come riding by, and he said, I went up to the car and was like, you know, hey, guys, what's going on? And he said, I could tell your wife was visibly shaking, and he said, I asked him what's up, and he said, oh, I'm just looking for Chip because when I find him, I'm going to fucking kill him. Now, I didn't know this, that all this was going on. So I'm trying to call her phone to figure out what's happening. Her phone's going straight to voicemail because I guess when he came back, things got violent. He was punching holes in the wall. He broke her phone, apparently roughed her up a little bit, but I had no way to find all this out because her phone was smashed. So later on, he calls me again and he said, Hey, I'm going to have him at my house. He said, if you come by here, it's just going to be him. But he's like, I'm going to try to talk, figure out what's going on. But if you ride by here, you know, just don't stop. I don't want anything going on at my house. I'm like, all right, that's fine. So I go back to my house. I'm just sitting there. I think I was watching like a UFC or something on TV and my daughter calls me. She worked. He knows where you live though, right? Yeah. yeah, He knows he knew, but my car wasn't at my house when they were looking for me. I wasn't home. Oh, okay. So had I been home when he was making her drive around looking for me, probably would have stopped by and things would have maybe, who knows how they went at that point in time. But by the time, you know, I, I get home, this is, This is probably like 1230 because it's like the main event of the UFC is coming on right then, which is why I went to my house to watch it. So it's probably at least 1231 o'clock because they come on pretty late East coast time. And I talked to my daughter. She worked at the Mexican restaurant that I was talking about earlier. I said, I called her. I said, when you get home, let me know your mom's okay. So she gets home and then she calls me from my daughter's phone. She's like, yeah, she's like, he got upset. But she said, Jamie, Got him. He's at Jamie's house. You know, don't worry about it. He's, he's going to be staying there. And so I'm thinking, all right, well, he's going to be staying there. They're good. I'm, I'm good. So I'm in bed watching the UFC. And then all of a sudden I get a text, but it's from his phone. And he said, Hey, are you home? And I text back. I said, yeah, I'm home. And he was like, can me and you talk? And I was like, yeah, about what? And he was like, man, he said, I don't want no drama. I don't want no BS. He said, but I feel like I'm being lied to on certain situations. And he said, I feel like you'll tell me the truth. And he's like, if you want to, we can meet at Jamie's house, which was my friend right down the street. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And so my my thinking is here is if I can diffuse this situation, because obviously he's pissed because he thinks this has been going on while he's there, that he wasn't privy to it, been going on. So I'm a pretty smooth talker and I'm thinking I can diffuse this Yeah. and just think, Hey, maybe she just wants to come back home. So we go down there and that's exactly what it was. He was just saying, you know, I want to know how long you guys have been talking. You know, I was like, well, to start with, that's still my wife. So it's really none of your business, how right. long we've been talking. But to answer your question, like this, just, we just decided this both recently. And so it would go from like high tension to back to being nothing at all to I'd say fast forward two hours, and it was basically like three guys sitting in the garage talking, just with weird extenuating circumstances. (laughs) But we go to leave, and this is now, this is probably like 2.30 by the time we get together there. We're talking probably 4.30. The guy whose house we were at was like, all right, I'm fixing to shut it down. He's like, if you want to stay here, you can stay here. He said, or you get Chip to run you home, whatever you want to do. And I looked at him and he was like, he said, do you care, if, you know, running me home? I was like, no, I don't care. So we shut the garage. And then he's like, you know, man, I don't know if I want to go home. He said, I know if we go home, we're going to start fighting. And my house from his house is like six houses down the other way. And he said, do you care if we go to your house? I'm like, no, I don't care. Because at this point, I didn't perceive this guy as a threat. Right. Now, I'm not going to say we were friends, but, you know, I just didn't perceive him as a being violent. So we go and we pull in. During the time we were talking in the garage, the story I just referenced to you about the guy that committed suicide came up. Well, I don't know if he was trying to match the story or you know to, to say something similar, but he held up his wrist and he was talking about a bracelet that he had. And he's like, do you know why I wear this? And I'm thinking, no, oh, I would not know why you wear that. Right. But I said no. And he told me the story of a guy that he was in service with. He was in the Army. That... They were together in combat and he the guy got shot in the head. He was trying to save him, but whatever he did wasn't the proper protocol and they kicked him out of the army for it, whatever they call you that. Um
1: they got a name for it when they not dishonorably. You out. Dishonorably
3: charged. I Discharge? think maybe dishonorably or charged dishonorably discharged, maybe that might be what it is. But in actuality that wasn't even true. I didn't find out later it was partly true. I didn't find out later to he was never actually in like battle. He was intelligence. He sent a guy into somewhere with his intelligence that got that individual killed, which was what got him booted out, which was why he was diagnosed with PTSD, because it did bother him, which was also the reason why right before him and my wife met, he had just gotten out of a mental institution in Alabama, which she didn't know and until much, much later in the relationship. So that was the correlation but he put it like he was there himself right when in actuality he was kind of behind the scenes still it was still his fault but you could tell that it bothered him like he was crying he cried in the car so at that point i'm really thinking this dude just maybe just needs somebody to talk to you know now he's losing you know what he thought was his relationship and you know maybe he just needs someone to talk to so we go in my house you know we're Looking around, just talking different things. This is probably four o'clockish somewhere along in that neighborhood. You know, had a we each did a shot. We're talking about different things, and we get on the subject of tattoos. And uh, we were talking about another one of my friends' moms. He's like, "Well, she's always said you know crappy things about people with tattoos." He's like, "You're covered in them." Does she ever say anything to you? And I was like, "No, she ain't said nothing to me." I said, "I got them all over." And I kind of pulled down my shirt slightly, and he's seen this one on my chest. And when he seen it, he reached at the bottom of my shirt and pulled my shirt up to see it. And when he did, he noticed, if you see right here, I got an open heart surgery scar right there. Okay. When he seen that scar, he was like, damn. He's like, what happened there? And I said, I had open heart surgery uh, my senior year in high school. And he's like, you know, just, you had a heart attack? And I was like, no. I said, it was something that they knew from birth. It was a, they called it a VSD, basically a hole in the heart. I said, but my senior year, they were able to tell that the hole was bigger than what they thought, and that if it was going to be repaired, better to be repaired then up under my mom's insurance than to do it later on, you know, later on in life where the complications might be worse. Right. So senior year in high school, I missed half my year for getting the heart surgery done. And when he seen that, he was kind of like, you could just tell his whole demeanor kind of just changed. And you know how when people, especially when they've had too much to drink, they do that shit where they like bro hug, you know and kind of like bear hug you and pick right. you up. So he done that. And I didn't think much of it at the time that he did it. I just, you know, I didn't never been around a guy. I didn't know how he could hold his alcohol. I didn't know how much he had had to drink. I know he was drinking at the garage. And then when we got back to my house, he had had two Landshark beers. And then we each shared a uh, shot.
4: Law enforcement often questions him, not because he's suspected of a crime, but because they find him fascinating. He is the most interesting man in the world.
1: I don't typically commit crime, but when I do, it's bank fraud. Stay greedy,
4: my friends. Support the channel. Join Matthew Cox's Patreon.
1: So he
3: goes to the bathroom, and I kind of move to where my stove is. Now, my kitchen is set up basically like an L. So you have the refrigerator here and a hallway here. After the refrigerator, you got the stove, and it curves back around the sink. So it's very tight and confined. I'm sitting up against the stove, just, you know, chilling, waiting on him to get out. I actually think I was responding to some messages throughout the night. I even text uh, my wife from my son's phone. I'm just like, hey, everything's good. You know, he's actually with me. We're just talking, trying to make sure everything's good before I bring him back over there. He comes out of the kitchen or out of the bathroom into the kitchen. He comes straight up to me, and the first thing he does is, like, grabs me and jacks me up. So, of course, like, my ass goes up onto the stove. I'm trying to figure out what, like, what the hell's going on. And he's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. And I'm just like, I thought he was joking for a minute, but then like the more I could feel his hand and I seen that look in his eyes. I was like, all right, this dude's not joking. So I was able to get down off the stove. He tries to like knee me, bring up his knee. So I turned my body a little bit. He still got me slightly, but I, he didn't really get it full effect. And then I told him, I was like, dude, if you don't get off me, I'm going to shoot you. And he goes back, he cocks back his right hand and, and I'll jump back one second. Whenever he pulled up that shirt to see that scar, he had to see that I was I had a gun on me because that's where it was. Right, and I was a CWP carrier. I had been for years. I'd owned guns since I was 18 years old, so it was normal for me to have a gun on me because I know that was the first thing. It was like, why'd you have a gun? I'm a CWP holder. I always have a gun. Right. I'd had it for years, and I've been pulled over with that same gun with those numbers ran. So there's documentation that that's the gun that I carry around. Well, when he swings, he's holding me with his left. He's swinging with his right. He kind of like clips my chin so he doesn't hit it fully. So as his body's turning, he lets go with his hand. So at that point I step back into the corner, literally in a corner, and he's already coming back at me. And I pulled out and I shot. I thought it was twice. Turns out it was three times. I didn't learn that until later, but like it's, and that's a guy thing, you know, guys will talk junk to each other, you know, maybe via text message or maybe in face to face. But when you put hands on somebody yeah. like that's another level. And then I don't know this guy really like that. And, you know, with the situation that he just talked about, I obviously know he's got some things going on mentally. He is getting told that, you know, we're getting back
1: together. And then he tells me he's going to kill me. I got to take him at his word. Yeah. You know, well, got- and he's, he's in your house. Yeah. It's a, Bad situation. He's drinking. He's attacking you. And the, 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 what I don't, what I, I always find. So, whenever you hear about like a police shooting or they wrestled and people are, like, well, they didn't have to shoot him. Well, wait a minute. The officer's armed. So, you think, oh, he could have just wrestled with him. No, there's a gun there that can go so badly, so quickly that the moment that person says, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to fight you. And I have a gun. I've got to pull my gun because the chances that you could get the gun mm. and kill me and you're the one who's being aggressive means that I have to stop the situation immediately. I can't get into a – it's not like we can get into a wrestling match and we're going to break it apart. You're attacking me. I have a gun. I could get shot with my own gun. If anybody's getting shot and I've got a gun, it's going to be you. Yeah. You're attacking me. Yeah, That's the whole stand your ground. Yeah, you know, stand your ground, castle law. Absolutely. And you're All in that. my house. Like yeah. what do you th- – like every single step of this situation – is just not in his favor. Exactly. And he's already telling somebody prior to find him, driving around looking for him, telling people I'm going to kill him. You thought you diffused the situation, goes to your house and attacks you. Like And that was exactly what what you just
3: said because I the the surgery I mentioned earlier about the back issues. The surgeries that I was having at the time, they would go in and they would uh basically burn the nerve endings away from the spine. And it would hurt for a couple of weeks. But then after that, you would have pretty good pain relief for about six to eight months because these nerve endings will reattach themselves. And I just had this done about a week before this happened. So my mobility was already like very limited in this. And plus, you know, this was a big dude. Like he's former military. I mean, he was a big guy. So it was really I didn't have any choice because it was like when he's telling me that I got to take him at his word. And at that point, like the first thing in my head was like, one of us ain't coming out of this kitchen. Right. And that was that was just it. And as soon as I shot him, he dropped. I was just, you know, the first instinct was like, what the fuck just happened? So I put the gun down, picked up the phone, immediately called 911. I didn't touch him. I didn't move anything. I didn't mess with anything. Because at, at my point in my mind, I haven't done anything wrong. Right. I've defended myself in my house. Now, the 911 call, which there's portions of it available online, has become a huge point of of contention because when i was on the phone the first thing that i said was i had a friend of mine in my house he started hitting me i had no choice i had to shoot him the friend of mine thing got blown real out of proportion because people's like well they weren't friends and i'm just like i didn't have time to tell the whole right. fucking story to the 911 operator sum it up yeah I'd be like, all right well he's dying but wait a minute let me tell you this long story for 20 minutes i was, i just it was the first thing that i could think of to get her to there because it wasn't a robber. I didn't want him to think he was robbing me. Right. But that was the first thing that I said. Yeah, maybe not the best choice of words, but you try being in this situation and coming up with a better explanation to get him there. My main thing is I just wanted him to get there. Yeah. And so I talked to the nine one one operator and she's like, you know, how is he? This, that, and the other. Is he breathing? Is he talking? Is he moving? And I'm telling her what he was doing. He never talked. He was making some some noises and she was like, you know, do you have a towel nearby? And I said, yeah, there's a, one in my bathroom. She said, can you go get the towel and place it over the wounds? I run to the bathroom. I yank the towel. I yanked the towel so hard off the bathroom, uh, wall that it brings the whole damn bracket with it. Right. You know, the little bracket to you hang your towel. So I go back, I pull up his shirt and I see two small wounds. that looks like, looks like if you were to take a pencil and just stab through paper, I mean, very, very small. Right. And, I put the towel over that and I hold it till the police get there. Sit there and uh, I'm on. She's like, you know, is the door unlocked? I said, yeah. She's like, you know, make sure the gun's unloaded, out of sight. You don't want to have that on you when the cops get there. I'm like, it's on the counter, it's unloaded. I was like, the door's unlocked. They can just come on in, whatever they, you know, whatever they want to do. And she said, okay, the officer's there. She said, we need you to go outside with your hands up. So I go outside, hands up. They cuff me, but he doesn't say I'm under arrest. He just said we got to see what's going on. So he cuffs me, puts me in the car. He was the first officer on the scene, so he goes in and, and checks everything out. Then there's another officer, and then cops just keep coming, keep coming. And you'd imagine if something out like that happens in one of these streets, and all these streets are filled with cops, every right. neighbor's because at this point it's six thirty, seven in the morning. Every neighbor's like looking out the window, what the hell is going on? I'm sitting out there in a cop car in the back seat. There's ambulances there now. There's like the fire EMS is there now. I mean, it's the whole street is packed. And I'm just sitting there waiting, and I see him finally bring him out, and they get on the, they get in the ambulance, they leave. Still nobody's come to me for anything. Finally, a female cop comes back, and she reads me my rights and asks me if I'm, you know, wants to answer any questions, and I told her no, not without a lawyer. So that was that part, so I knew they couldn't ask me anything else. I'd say probably another hour goes by, and I'm still in there, and I'm kind of nodding to one of the cops, like telling him to come here. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, dude, I got to go to the bathroom. he's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. You're going to have to hold it. And I was like, no, I don't know what to tell you. Like, there's no holding. It's about to happen. It can happen in this car, in this yard, or in the house. But, like, I got to go. So they let me go, or they took me out. They took me upstairs into my house. And they was like, you know, is there somewhere here you can change clothes? And I'm like, yeah, this is my house. So everything in here is my house. So we go upstairs change clothes. They take all the clothes that I have on that day, shirt, pants, boots, all that stuff, which is, I guess, common. And I changed clothes and he asked me if there's anywhere I can go until everything gets resolved. And I'm like, well, yeah, there's a, by this time, I mean, people that I knew in that neighborhood were like sitting around the house in golf carts, Mm -hmm. just trying to figure out what the hell was going on. So I go and I pick one up. I'm like, Hey, I'm gonna go hang out at your house until they finish. And he's like, all right. So I told him what the address was and we go over there and, It's like probably eight in the morning, nine in the morning at this point, you know, I'm still haven't been to bed yet. I mean, just, you know, adrenaline's still through the roof and I'm waiting and he pulls back up. One of the detectives pulls back up and he's like, are you ready to answer some questions for us? And I was like, well, no, like I said, not without a lawyer. And he's like, well, who's your lawyer? Well, at the time I was using my divorce lawyer, who was also a former cop. So I told him his name and he's like, well, I know him. He's like, well, we'll get together Monday morning. And, uh, you know, we'll give you some questions to answer and we'll go through that. He says, so just look to get with him sometime Monday morning to answer our questions. And I don't know if you're going to come in or write a statement or what. And I'm like, okay. So I said, I'm free to go back home. And they said, yeah, you're free to go. And I was like, you know, what about, you know, is there any mess? And he's like, hey, he said, I don't think there's much. He said, but that's not on us to clean up. He said, that's on you. Because all they do is handle the crime scene and then they leave. It doesn't matter what's left. That's not, that is not their responsibility to right. clean up. Well, by this time, somebody had already called my mom. My mom lives about two hours away, so she's there. When I come back, obviously she's hysterical. And when we went in the house, there really wasn't a lot there. Like, there was very, very little blood. So much to the fact that she took, like, two paper towels and just wiped the floor, and then it was done. That was it. So it's not like on TV when you see somebody shoot somebody and the whole wall gets covered in blood. It It was not like that at all. Matter of fact, the whole situation while I was there, I never seen blood at all. So the day goes by, get up Monday morning. uh, I think I might have slept a couple hours that night. It was still just everything was just still 100 miles an hour. So I go to my lawyer's office. We write a statement. We send it to them. Um, They obviously want to talk to my wife. She goes, she gives a statement. Then on Wednesday, I see my lawyer call me and he's like, hey, I got some bad news. And I'm like, what? And he's like, they're charging you a murder. And I was like, why? And he was like, I don't know. He Did you like, ever think that was coming? No. Especially not after they let me go. Like right. that morning. I, I figured I was probably going to have to go to jail. But once they figured out what happened, everything happened, especially with, you know, all the proof there, that right. they would let me go. That was what I was thinking. But then when they didn't even take me to jail,
1: you thought you never, I'm never doing it. Yeah. yeah. This is, this I was is, like, this they realize is, what happened. Yeah. This it's is
3: fine. clear cut because the way everything happened in that kitchen, I'll get into this a little bit more a little bit, but like everything was backed up just by the way stuff happened. So two, two out of the three shots went through and through. One of them hit my refrigerator and then bounced and hit a wall. The other one hit, uh, like a 24 pack of water that was sitting beside the refrigerator. The other one struck that. So what that did was that proved that I said I was standing in the corner Right, it proved that I was standing in the corner. Otherwise, you can't get that indentation on that refrigerator to bounce over here if you're anywhere else but where I told you. Also, a shell casing was recovered in the sink, which, when you're in that corner, shell casing or uh, sinks to the right, shell casings are ejected to the right and back. So, it's everything was lining up that way. And trust me, I did not have the wherewithal at that time to go start checking all this stuff out, you know, measuring stuff and, and looking for stuff. It was just. I didn't need to lie. I didn't need to tell anything that didn't happen because everything was the truth and it, it, I, it was backed up by what I said. Right. So he tells me they're going to do that. And I'm just like, dude, you know, I don't really know about you handling this. I was like, no disrespect. But like, if you handled a case like this before, and he's like, well, I've handled a few. He's like, but if you want to look for other options, he's like, that's, that's on you. He's like, you know, I won't get mad or upset. He's like, this is a case that you got to deal with. So I start hanging up the phone and calling people that I know around the area. And I'm like, who's the best attorney for this? And I keep hearing one name over and over and over again. It's Andy Savage. Even from towns where I grew up in, in Darlington, calling guys there, you know, big, big shot lawyers, Andy Savage, Andy Savage, Andy Savage. I hear that name probably 10 times. I don't think I heard a different name uh, when I was telling them what was going on. So at this point, it's late in the day on Tuesday. They want me to turn myself in on Wednesday. So it's like we're talking less than 24 hours here. i got to turn myself into jail. So I called his – they were closed, but you have like a 1-800 number or whatever, you can leave a message, and it gets checked. And if it's important enough, then they contact him. Left a message, told him what was going on. He calls me, kind of gets a little gist of it. He said, I don't want to know everything. He said, just give me the broad strokes. When are you supposed to be turning yourself in? I told him, he said, be at my office at 630 tomorrow morning. I was like, all right. So me, my wife, my mom, they carried me up there 6:30 and we basically break down the story kind of just at this point from what we knew, you know, told him everything and he was like, "Why are we here?" And I was like, "Your guess is as good as mine, bro. I don't know." Like, you know, they can't even they can't even paint this as a jealousy thing because he wasn't the one, he would be the one that would be the jealous one, not me.
1: Right. Like, it's not like this just happened. Yeah. It's not like he took your wife and you brought, lured him to your house and shot him. Right. This is him. He's getting his walking. He's getting the
3: boot. Exactly. And usually nine times out of 10, you probably know this. Whoever's where they're not supposed to be is the one with the problem. Right. That's, that's typically how it is. And he was just like, "Is, is it an election year? Is somebody trying to make a statement? And i was just like, I don't know. I just know I didn't do anything wrong. So huge amount of money we got to come. This law, good lawyers are not cheap. I if know. anybody out there that finds themselves in in need of an attorney, they're worth every penny. Or the right ones could be mine was, but they are not cheap. But the reason they're not cheap is like as I'm sitting here telling him this stuff, like I'm mentioning names, this that and the other papers are just being printed stuff on on the guy, on me, on on everything, on his you know military records. I mean, just everything that could be pulled was being pulled like almost verbatim as I'm saying it. Like it, it was literally, that scene was like something out of a movie, everything that was being done. And he goes and he said, when are you supposed to turn yourself in? I said, today, like in a couple hours at 12 o'clock. And he's like, give me a minute. So he comes back and he's like, all right, I got your, uh, you, you don't have to go till Friday. He's like, but I'm going to try to get it pushed back till Sunday. He said, I'm telling him I'm taking you on as a client. You know, we're going to, we need some time to get stuff ready. So basically what he needs from me is he's like, you know, reach out to everybody, you know, get some character letters wrote up, you know, talking about who you are, what kind of person you are. He said, we'll present that with a joke to a judge for bond. He's like, typically in situations like this, I like to tell people to just sit in jail for a while and wait and let the heat die down. He's like, but in your case, I don't really see any reason why you should have to do that because he actually represented, I don't know if you remember the case, but, uh, Mark Schlager, where uh, Walter Scott, it was a video of the guy running away and the cop shot him like nine times oh, in the back. Oh, yeah. Mat.
1: Was unarmed?
3: Yeah. Well, there's there's more to it than that, okay. but uh, that, my lawyer was Walter Scott's lawyer. Uh, no, excuse me, uh, Mark Schlager's lawyer. Um, and he actually got him off on the the local trial, but then the state come in and you didn't get him off. Or He got him off on the state and then the feds come in feds and he actually in. got found guilty in the feds.
1: But... So he was, but that wasn't for murder in the feds. It was for, uh, wasn't it, for like violation of his civil right. It violating was something his
3: along life? those lines, yeah. Because he got, I, th- I want to say he got like 17, 18 years. I could be off on the number, but listening to the the CSI guy that we wound up getting from my case done a podcast, um, breaking down like that, that, Walter Scott actually used the taser on Schlager, and which gave him right to be able to fire. Now then you have to tie in, you know, was was all the what all happened before the video got put on, but that's, you can talk for a whole nother show just yeah. about that alone. That's craziness. But they, we, that was the guy, same guy that, um, you know, represented him. And so we got all the stuff together. We got all the character letters together and then he wound up, did getting it pushed back until Sunday. He's like, you don't have to turn yourself into Sunday at one o'clock. So I'm like, know a couple days. days. Yeah.
1: At least like, you don't have to sit in jail over the weekend. Yeah.
3: Sit in jail over the weekend. That's a couple days. So, we're trying to get everything together we get care I think I got like 65 character letters from different people I would have had a lot more but some of my friends are felons and they're like I don't know if I should write one and I'm just <laughs> like well maybe you're right just just keep your letter I was like I appreciate it but just keep your letter <laughs> and so we go in and uh everybody comes down to my house like that weekend say I don't want it to sound like we weren't in care it was almost like a party right like going away party kind of like everybody come, we eat. You could tell there was like an uncomfortableness amongst everybody, but it was kind of like, you know, just in case something goes wrong, if they do decide to keep me or whatever reason, it was just one last time everybody's getting together. So we get together, we eat, everybody hangs out. And then Sunday morning, um, me and my wife got in the back of the car and my mom and, and stepdad took me to jail and dropped me off. And, you know, I hugged everybody before I went in because I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, getting bond for murder is not an easy thing. Right. A lot of times you don't get bond for murder. You have to stay in for a while. So it was a. I went in there not really knowing what was going to happen. I go in and uh, you know, sit down on the bench. I'd never been arrested before, mind you. I don't want to. I want to make this clear. I'm not somebody that's yeah, yeah. A, a frequenter of the county jail. I've never been arrested before in my life, and so. But this was a big one to go in there for. And I sit down on the bench and there's this guy and you could tell he was like an old biker guy or whatever, you know, probably had a little bit too much to drink. And he's like, a uh, bench of shame, huh? I was like, <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. You know, cause I, I'd always been told, you know, just don't talk, don't talk, just yeah, stay yeah. quiet, stay to yourself. So he says that and they, they fingerprint us and <clears throat> excuse me, do all that good stuff. Take us to the holding room. And he sits by me and he's like talking, talking, talking. And then, They come to see the magistrate. Well, I already knew that with my charge, a magistrate couldn't grant me bond. I had to go in front of the circuit court. Well, they take me, another younger kid, that guy, all to the room. Now, we're handcuffed, wrist to wrist, ankle to ankle, having to shimmy down the hall, and one by one. My last name is Williamson, so I'm always going to be last and everything they call. The first kid was like possession of marijuana. You know, P.R. Bond, he goes, that was DUI, second offense. You'll have to get somebody to bail you out, yada. yada. stand, Mr. Williamson, you're in charge of murder and a violent crime. And when that guy, when he said that, the guy that I've been talking to this whole time, he's just like, <laughs> <laughs> and he just kind of started <laughs> scooting down away. So I was like, you know, yes, sir. I know I have to see the circuit court. We go back into the room. He immediately comes straight in, picks the stuff where it was at, goes to the opposite corner of the room. Don't say nothing else to me the rest of the time. That's funny. Yeah. So I was like, well, at least I can get some little peace and quiet here. Yeah. But That didn't last very much long either. Because this is like the holding tank. You know, as people are getting arrested, everybody goes into this tank until it starts to get full. And then they'll start dispersing you out into the, the pods of the prison. But I knew I had court the next morning at 9 a.m. So I'm still in street clothes. And we have court, 9 a.m., they come and get me. And I'm in a room with all, like, people that have been there for a while. One guy had just set his sister on fire. He's waiting to see the circuit court judge. Um, And that's the thing is, like, you have to see the circuit court. The circuit court rotates throughout the county. So if I'd have went in there and they would have been in another county, say Dorchester County, I'd have had to wait till they rolled back around to my county, which was Berkeley County, luckily. They were in Berkeley County that week, so I didn't have to wait. I was able to literally go to court for it the next day. So I caught a break on that. He's in there, like I said, he set his sister on fire. He comes back in happy, smiling, because he only got 14 years, because he could have got 30. Another guy's in there saying how he's going to go to Atlanta. to. He's going to tell the cops. He's going to testify against somebody to get him locked up, but he's really going to Atlanta because Atlanta's prison's got better food. And he'll get better food for a couple of weeks because the prison food where I guess we were at here was horrible. One other guy's in there talking about hey, if he sees another guy and so and so in the court, he's gonna kill him right there. I mean, I'm listening to all this being said, and I'm just like, geez, I'm saying to myself, like, Jesus no, I'm just surrounded Christ. by some real fucking
1: derelicts. Yeah. yeah,
3: like these are some real fucking dudes. Like there's there's no bullshit in here. And I'm just sitting there, one of and I was like, like, I hope nobody asked me like what I'm in here for, and. Sure enough, when I was like, you know, what you in here for? Family court? And, uh, because <laughs> they were all in like the jumpsuits, and I'm in regular street clothes. Right. So i am in, like, yeah, something like that. And then one guy I knew, he was like, you're the kid from Cane Bay. And I'm just like, I kind of looked at him. I was like, yeah. He's like, we got TVs in here. We see the news just like everybody else. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. He's like, you got a lawyer? And I said, yeah. And they was like, who? And I said, Andy Savage. He was like, mm, you all right. And again, this first time I'd ever met this dude. I never needed a lawyer before, but everybody knows this guy's name. Yeah. So we go in there, they finally call me up. I'm in there for god, what seemed like an hour. And the walk from the county lockup where you're at in a holding to get to the courtroom is like underground, like a dungeon. So I mean, like we're walking through there and I'm just every horror movie's playing in my head like dum, 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 yeah. dum. I mean, it was just really, really scary looking. So we get over there, we go in, massive courtroom, I mean huge flags, everything, the courtroom's packed full of people, I've just never been anything like this in my life, so I go, shoot me over to my lawyer, their lawyer for the state's arguing that I shouldn't be given bond, that I'm a danger to the community, yada, 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 my lawyer's saying, look, this guy's never been in trouble, he's had a good job, he's an upstanding member of his own community, everybody knows him. You know, so they fight back and forth. Well, any court show that I've ever seen, when a judge makes a ruling, she makes it right then. You know, either bond granted or bond denied. Right. So I'm waiting, and she goes, okay, I'll make my decision and let you guys know. Bam! And hits the gavel. And I'm just like, well, that's not what I was planning on. So I'm, I looked at my and I was like, what the fuck does that mean? He's like, I guess that means she'll let us know. Yeah. And so they're automatically, like, taking me off. You know, I'm looking back kind of like, you know, whisper-mouthing to my family, you know, I love y'all. i seen all them in the back. So they're taking me back to the room, and you got to get on this thing where they, you know, rearrange your cuffs and put it back like you were. And I asked the guy, I was like, so what does that mean she'll get back with me? Like, what does that mean exactly? he's like, ah, she'll probably have you an answer in a week or so. I'm like, a week or so? What the fuck? So we get back in, and I'm just like, "I, I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, I thought they were supposed to give you an answer right then. So I called my wife on the phone uh, after about an hour or two from jail. And I was like, all right, what the fuck is going on? And she said, well, she's already made her decision. She's going to give you bond. She's like, but they might not process the paperwork until tomorrow. So you might have to stay in there another night. I'm just like, all right, well, if I got to, I can do another night. I didn't really sleep much anyway. And uh, so I was like, all right, I can do another night if need be. She said, but you may still get out. I don't know. I was like, all right. So this is like three, four in the afternoon. Like nine, and people are still getting out at yeah. this time. It, that paperwork process takes a while. So, seven, eight, nine o'clock, people are still getting out. Hey, you're going home. Hey, you're going home.
1: But you're pretty much thinking I'm staying the night.
3: I, I was I was hoping, but I was planning on staying the night. But I just figured nobody would come for me if I wasn't getting out. Because, you know, when they come, it's usually to say, hey, you're getting out. Yeah. So, about 9.30, I'm going on to come in to say, one. we're just checking on yeah. you. Yeah.
1: Just making sure you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you you're in a good <laughs> space.
3: Room service, anything? Yeah.
1: They're not so, real concerned about you.
3: So, no, and the, the guy, and I'll mention this really quick the guy, the um, the biker guy was in there. I swore I thought this dude was going to die right there in the cell. He had asthma, and they refused to give him his inhaler. And this dude, I mean, he looked like he was trying to breathe air through a flattened straw. Yeah. I mean, and every time he would ask about it, they would say, okay, we'll look into it. We'll let you know. I well, was they'll let like, you die. Yeah. I was like, this I've dude known is guys, going to fucking die if they don't give him something. Yeah. You you saying people as that's happened to From
1: exactly that. Uh um uh asthma. They wouldn't give him this handler. They said, Oh, the next day, it'll be tomorrow. He's like, No, you don't understand. I I I'm not a whatever, there's different classifications. He's yeah. like, If I don't have it, I'll die. And they were like, Yeah, well, I don't know which one to tell you. Go 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 back to your fucking cell. Like, they don't give a fuck. Yeah. And then sure enough, that night he died. Wow. Woke up the next day, dead. That's I guess he didn't wake up the next day, dead. Yeah. His celly woke up the next day and he was dead. Wow.
3: That's crazy. But yeah, so 10 o'clock, 9.30, 10 o'clock, they open up the door, Williamson. So I'm like fucking stoked. I'm like, shit, I got it done. I'm out of here. I hop down, get there, and as crazy as it is, the guy looked at me, and he's like, you're Leah's dad, right? And Leah's my stepdaughter. And I'm just like, yeah. And he's like, my wife used to train her for gymnastics. And I was like, oh, how you doing? <laughs> you know, Glad I mean, like, we could catch out. up. Yeah, fancy meeting you here. <laughs> And uh, I was like, I'm getting out of here. And he's like, no, we got to transfer you. And I'm like, transfer me where? And he's like, to the pod. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be getting out like in the morning. Like I've already got bond. He's like, doesn't matter. He's like, it just goes by the order of who was here. He's like, you're the next one to go. And I'm just like, well, son of a bitch. So they take me, they swap me out they give me the jumpsuit, flip flops, the, you know, little bag, cup, three in one body wash, shampoo, conditioner, toothbrush, roll of toilet yeah. paper and send you in. So you go in, and the one I was in, it was like a big open area room with, like, those chairs that everything on it around. There's no sharp points on them chairs yeah. at all. And the TV, and then you got a bottom floor and a top floor. Yeah. Well, then when you go in there, it's basically like just an open dorm. There's, there's bunks in there, but it's just open from one end of the wall to the other. So a lot of people in here. So I'm walking. I'm like, all right, well, I'm probably not going to find a bottom bunk. Walk to one end, come back. And then I see the guy that said his sister on fire and kind of like <laughs> waves, kind of waves at me. And I'm just like, Hey, I was like, care if I get up there. He's like, nah, man, go ahead. So I hop up there and, you know, still at this point, I'm just like, Jesus, I can't, I'm staring at the ceiling. And I was like, I can't believe I'm here. Like i have done nothing wrong. i have done everything from the training they give you for your CWP by the letter of the law, by castle law, like I've done everything by the letter of the law, and I'm still in here, and it was blowing my fucking mind. And you know, I would talk a little bit. One guy I come up to me. I guess he was kind of like the one of the top orderlies or something. He's like, "Do you need a job?" And I was like, "All right, I'm no, hoping, wait a minute. But I'm not going to be here. Long yeah, enough for and that's what I was like. nah. He's like, "Oh, you're bonding out?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm supposed to get out here tomorrow." And he was like, "All right, well, yeah. If you don't, if you're getting out that quick, don't worry about it." Well, then somebody else. I guess they knew the guy that knew what I was in there for.
1: Yeah, that'll said, spread everywhere. Everybody, will, within two days, everybody, yeah. 150 guys, all, every one of them
4: knows.
3: Yeah, well, they knew that night. And the one guy, he was like, he said, man, let me ask you something. He's like, uh, you said you didn't need no job. And I was like, yeah. He's like, you're bonding out tomorrow? He's like, what fucking lawyer you got? He's like, I need him. And I was just like, "Andy He's like, ah, oh, okay, I understand. That just kept coming up throughout there. And I am, I am heavily tattooed. I got a lot of tattoos on my arms and stuff. And the guys were noticing that in there and they asked me who... My tattoo artist was, and he was a local guy with like everybody in there knew him. And he was like, Oh, I knew Eric. So it was kind of like that was like, a, I guess my end. They didn't right. mess with me, you know, or treat me like, you know, any other, any type of way. And so I'm not going to say it was like, obviously, I'd have rather been in my own bed, but it wasn't like a bad experience. Yeah, yeah. Like it wasn't like, you know, they were in there trying to fuck with you or anything like that. And I mean, That was pretty much it. You know, spent that night there, got out the next morning, immediately went home, took a shower. And there's a funny story about that, too. That that night, I did decide to take a shower. And the guy, I didn't want to make it seem like I'd never been in there before. And the guy's (laughs) like, he's like, uh, you know how to work the shower, right? He's like, with the little thing in the back. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I go in there, and it's like a little, you push it, and the thing only lasts for like five seconds. Yeah but they have something to where they can jam in there yeah. to where it don't... Well, I couldn't figure out how they'd done it, but I'm not about to go out there and ask them. Yeah. So I have I was having to take like miniature showers within five-second increments to get somewhat clean, but I was just like, yeah, I'm not telling them that I don't know how to work this. I, everybody up in there assumed, I think, that I'd been in there before, and I didn't do anything to correct them on that either. I was just like, well, if they're going to assume it, that, let me get out of
1: here. So it was the push button, and they had they had a, a thing, a tab that you slept, you could yeah, you it jam like it in there. Yeah, a thin
3: piece of plastic that you could jam in there and it kept it from coming back. Yeah, because
1: otherwise you hit it and then it slowly slides yeah. back out. Yeah. dude, Dudes in prison, man, are some of the smartest cats you will ever run well, across. Listen, the necessity is the mother of invention. Like exactly. You, those guys, like, if you had been in a place where, like, you need to get, somebody wants some coffee, five cells down and you're all locked up, man, they start, they tie, they'll tie. they take their thread and pull, make a thread and t- take, some something heavy and shoot it down there. It'll bounce off the wall, and the next guy will get it, and he'll slide it down. Next thing you know, that you you've got a string back and forth, and they're pulling fucking little bags of coffee back and forth to each. Other. It's insane. You're like, who thought that up? Like it's 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 ridiculous.
3: Yeah, the one dude he said he didn't like the cold air blowing on him, so he would wet like toilet paper and throw it up to block the cold air. Yeah, I mean, it was just yeah. CEOs get
1: pissed. They come and then they they get it down. They yell at you, tear your bed apart, and you'll just rebuild. <laughs> it's just what we do. So yeah,
3: yeah. But uh, I mean, that was the the extent of the experience. You know, it wasn't bad. It wasn't you know anything like the wor- people. I guess think the worst case scenario. It wasn't that. But granted, I was only in there a couple of days, so thankfully I didn't have to put any more experience in that than than I had to. But I got out and then immediately then, you know, the lawyers like, all right, you know, here's what we got. We're going to plan a a preliminary hearing for you. This took place in July. So a couple months after
1: you still working, you're still going to work. Well,
3: no. Yeah, I guess I should cover that. I I get out um, because I'm only in jail. Like I said, I check myself in Sunday. I get out Tuesday morning. I go to work and I tell them like, hey, I'm not going to need to miss work. I'm coming back. But obviously they know what's going on. Yeah. And so I go out there, and he was like, all right, well, come over and uh, go to the GM's office. So when he said that, I'm like, oh, boy. Okay. So we go to the GM's office, and it was like my boss in my department, the the GM of that new core. And he sat down, and he's like, all right, well, you know, what's going on exactly? And I told him everything, and he's like, well, you know, unfortunately, man, uh, we're going to have to let you go. And I was just like, what the fuck? I was like, after everything I just told him, he's like, yeah, I can't imagine the shoes you're in right now. And I'm like, well, imagine being fired on top of it. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're not helping out in a situation. I can promise you that. I'm like, I'm not going to need to miss work. Like, I'm out. I'm free to come to work. And they even blocked me from getting unemployment. They blocked It said it was conduct detrimental to Newcore's off-work conduct policy. They blocked me from even getting unemployment. I couldn't even get unemployment from when I, after I got fired.
1: What if people have some shit? Okay.
3: But the silver lining to me getting fired was that then I could access the 401k right. that I had had built up.
1: Yeah. But you would think like, I mean, after, after they, well, anyway, let's keep, keep going. Sorry.
3: Yeah. Oh, there there can be a lot said on that. I mean, I was just like, I know people that have worked there that have had charges that not necessarily maybe what I had, but were serious, like right. serious charges that never got anything done to them. And I'm just like, why wouldn't you let me keep working? Like, obviously if I'm found guilty, you're not going to have to worry about firing me. Right. Like, I'm not going to be back for a very long time. And but for whatever reason, they just wanted to go ahead and, and get rid of me, and that's what they did. And so, like I said, with them firing me, it did open me up to be able to go into my four hundred one k. Because as long as you're employed there, other than it being, I think you can do a loan, but you can't withdraw like make big withdrawals. Right. But you know you're gonna have to pay your taxes. But after you no longer work there, you're free to do whatever. And so the, the prices for the lawyer was like fifty thousand to take the case, then like another ten or fifteen to start all the investigations and stuff like that. And that was just off the rip. So I go ahead, I pay that off in full. I think I finished paying off my car. I had at the time, you know, maybe a little bit of credit card debt. That way I didn't have any debt and it was just the house payment, normal bills, and my wife was still working. So we could, we could manage if it was going to be a while before I could find another job because I didn't know what that was going to be like either. So I'm handling the lawyer situation, but I'm also trying to find a job. And I, I go to uh, Republic Services, which is like a trash uh, company. But so I'm a welder, so I was going to be at their facility where they would cut out panels that had been rusted out or dented in, put in new ones and weld them up. It was good money, close to the house, good benefits. And I told the guy in the interview, I'm like, hey, this is what happened. And he's like, when did all this happen? I'm like, you know, a week ago he's like, oh, shit. And he's like, well, I took criminal justice in college. He said, don't sound like you have anything to worry no. about. And I was like, well, I'm cool. I'm just yeah, letting you know. Yeah. If I say, hey, I got to go for a court hearing, you know why. You know, Or if we see something in the news, you know why. Because it was still in the news. Like when I got home from jail, there was two news stations sitting across from my house. I guess they knew I was getting out, so they were just waiting. So it was a big story, especially in that community. It's just one of them things where it just don't happen. Right, especially in those communities, so everybody was on it. There was countless articles on it. Um, so when I come home, I was telling my wife, "I'm like, I think I got a job." Well, when it run through corporate in Arizona, and they run the background, it showed as a pending murder investigation, right. and they called me and they rescinded the offer. Right. So I'm just like, "Well, fuck, there you go. I can't, I can't go anywhere that's going to run my background." Right. And I found a sign company that was hiring at the time. Um, because it was in such quick succession, I just told the guy, I didn't tell him I got fired. I told him that I wanted to be able to get off a of night shift and be able to be more hands on with my son, which, it, which wasn't a lie. I did, but I just kind of got forced into that. Right. And so he didn't run my background. He hired me on the spot because he seen that I would had a long work history. I was with them for like 15 years, you know, through two different comp or through different, uh, two different branches, like seven and a half years in Columbia, another seven and a half years up here. So he hired me immediately. And I loved that job. It was fun. It was building signs. Like I had no idea there was much money in that. Like every business has to have some sort of signage. So those guys make bank. And so it was, it was fun. And I've done that for a little while, but after this preliminary hearing, we had nothing else, nothing else happened. No other events. And in the preliminary hearing, you know, you can't divulge evidence in a preliminary hearing. So, The only thing that can be presented is why you charge someone. Right. That's it. And she wasn't giving any reason of why she charged me. And in the preliminary hearing, she lied
1: like five
3: different times. District attorney. No, this is the detective over my case. It was a female. She lied five times in the preliminary hearing. Like that we can document, not just, I'm saying, well, that's a lie. Like she said that there was a, a, K, a point one time to where me and my wife were, you know, fighting a little bit. And they said that there was a report wrote up to where she said that he answered the door and he was holding a gun and a knife. I'm just like, well, how does somebody answer a door holding a gun and a knife? Mm-hmm. What was in the report was that my wife came over and she said there was a gun on the table. Now, this is before everything happened. Right. But there was usually a gun somewhere around close. Like, I'm a gun enthusiast. I have a lot of guns. I've got right. 38s, 9mm, SKSs. I mean, but
1: they only mentioned the knife. Yeah. Well, she so said, the report only mentioned the knife.
3: Well, she said gun and a knife. In lieu of I was holding them. Like, right. I, like, I answer the door holding a gun and a knife. I was like, how the fuck do you answer a door holding a gun and a knife? Then there was other reports to where uh, the guy had... It was come out later that he was on steroids. He actually took steroids that night. He took two vials of, I don't know, whatever you call it. I'm not into steroids, obviously, as you can tell by his physique. But he took two vials of something. Well, they collected those vials from the house where my wife was staying at. Well, she said, we only collected one vial. It's in her report that she wrote that she collected two vials. So, minuscule, but it's still a lie. She said that he was really distraught after this happened, that he locked himself out of the house when he come outside for the arresting officer to, or for the, First officer on scene. That never happened. The door was open. Right. I don't know. It was almost like she was just fabricating little things to make it seem worse. And then she said, uh, you know, my lawyer was like, well, have you ever known him or any reports to him being a violent person? And she said, yes. And he was like, what? Yeah, well, tell me. And he said he wasn't allowed to go to the school to pick up his child because he and his wife were having arguments and he was banned from going to the school. I, looking, I was like, she's a fucking liar. Like this right. has never happened. We go and we interview the principal and the principal was like, no, he's like, if anybody bans anyone from the school from coming and picking up someone, it's me. You know, nobody has that authority. And he's like, I don't even, he's like, I don't even know if I've ever met the man. He said, I've seen him, but we've never really formally met. And he said, I've never went and told him that he couldn't be here. And he right. said, if I'd done that, there would have to be some sort of documentation as to why, And, you know, reasoning and and stuff like that. So what it was.
1: I was going to say, she just manufactured the whole thing. Well,
3: not, not quite, but what it was, there was a school resource officer that was there. And I guess in one of these times when me and my wife were arguing back and forth, I think it was over something about how much money we were going to be doing child support. We were trying to figure out the logistics of it. This is before, obviously, the incident happened. Um, The resource officer overheard my wife and another lady talking the resource officer went and wrote up something. My wife didn't even know because she spelled her name wrong on the report. And when I told my wife, I'm like, did you fucking write a report on me? And she's like, no, we went and found out that it was her, that the school resource officer wrote the report, which even that didn't have anything in it saying that, you know, I was violent or anything like that. And what it was was it said that, you know, overheard her and her husband was arguing a possible situation that could come to the school. Like she was just basically doing as something to document that this is something that could happen down the road. Right. The detective took that and rolled with it. And it was like, he wasn't allowed to come to the school.
1: Yeah, it doesn't say that at all.
3: Yeah. It doesn't say that at all. And then we had to print. So like I said, it's like five or six things that she lied about by herself just in that. And I mean, I don't know, logistically, I don't, I don't know if that's considered a, a trial, but, like, you can get in trouble for that, for lying under oath yeah, but on a they murder don't. trial. Yeah, but, but they, they don't. They never do. Yeah, they never do. Well, one thing that I will circle back, one 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 quick thing. There was, like I said, I told you, I fired three shots. Two went through. One didn't. So, obviously, if you got two exits, then you should find two bullets somewhere in the house. One struck the refrigerator, like I told you. The other one, they hit the water. Mm-hmm. I found that when I got out of prison or jail. Right. We had to call them to like, hey, we found a bullet. Like that obviously y'all didn't find. So that was a real bad look for her. Right. Not finding that other bullet. And that was I think kind of like the first thing is, you know, how bad did you really botch this whole case? And after that, there was really no movement, man. Nothing. Like we got
1: So the the preliminary sorry, the preliminary hearing was held to see if the charges can hold up. And the judge could at that time say, you don't have enough.
3: Mm -hmm. And she almost did. At the end of it, she said, there's really not a lot here. But she said, given the circumstances, I'll bind it to trial. And that's what my lawyer said. He's like, we were this close from getting a drop right here. And that was it. Like I said, after we left there, we didn't hear. I mean, I kept getting reports in. We hired a forensics guy out of New York. His name is John Palucci. He come down, and they basically set up, like if you see on CSI, like the beans. So he went yeah. to where the wall, back to the refrigerator, back to the corner. So it proved where I was standing, like b- scientifically proved that I was standing where I was standing. <clears throat> um, that was big. The angle of the bullets was coming into question because the pathologist had wrote in her uh, report that the angle of the bullet didn't line up to like how I said I was standing. And the reason for that is, is like one entry point was high, but the other one was a little bit lower. So they're like, you know, well that doesn't make sense if y'all are in front of each
1: other. Well, it does if the guy's bent forward. Exactly
3: that. that if he's you. headed coming and I'm toward you, you're me. not a pathologist, but And right. you knew that. So, so if, if he's, he's
1: tilted and coming toward you,
3: exactly. And the way she wrote it in the report was like, well, these stories don't line up. And another thing in the report, they said, well, he um, he said there was a struggle in the beginning until the shooting happened, but we seen no signs of a struggle. So he went back and he looked at the first officer's body cam footage, and there was like a knocked over shot glass on the floor, another knocked over shot glass on the stove, and another like rocks glass, like almost like that coffee mug there without the handle, you know what you drink whiskey out of. It was knocked over in the back corner. So obviously three knocked over glasses, you would think would be signs of a struggle. right? And then another big reason was she said there was no back spatter On me Now back spatter, even though it sounds like it would come out of the back, it's actually what comes back towards you when you shoot. So if I shoot you here, the back spatter would be what would fly back to me. And because there was none, they said that they questioned whether I was really in as close proximity as I was. But the thing is, he was wearing three layers of clothes. He was wearing three shirts. He was wearing like a t-shirt, a shirt over that, and then a long sleeve shirt over that. So the chances of you getting backspatter over three layer of clothes is damn near non-existent. Right. And then at the end it said he uh, claimed to do life saving measures, but there was no sign of that either. He didn't have any blood on him from that either, and that's why I made that point earlier. I never seen blood. Right. Like, there was not at one point this whole time while I'm on nine one one while I'm sitting there with him while I got the towel. I never seen blood. Right. never and seen you the did drop put
1: that you did put the towel on yeah, him like I you were did. told to do
3: yeah and I was that's why I was thinking I was like how do the hell do they think that towel got there I mean like when the guy comes in' it's, he's laying in the in the kitchen and the, the towels right there on him like there's nobody else in the house I'm the only one that could have did it and you know that was pretty much what they built their case on and that was what our um CSI guy basically debunked everything that they gave he gave a reason to debunk it and pretty much for four years, almost it, it nothing, nothing happened with it. And a lot of that was due to COVID. Um, they did reach out to my lawyer and asked if they wanted to do a trial through zoom. And he said, no, that's not how he works, which I was glad with that. He's a, he's a theatrical guy, you know, right, he, right. he, he uses the courtroom as his stage. You know, his yeah, stage yeah. yeah. So, you know, I was fine with that. And he, by this time I did land another job. Um, I, I stayed with the sign company for a while, when COVID hit, um they let a lot of people go, and then I found another job that I'm still at now that I love. I'm, I've actually made my way up to supervisor now. Um that guy knows about everything. He's from Texas and the the issue was with the sign places I never told them. So, get this. We're I'm there like 3 months. I said, "Oh, we got a big uh big job, a uh, LED sign for a company." I was like, "Oh, really? Where is that? Newcore?" That's mm. the place I used yeah, to yeah, work. Yeah. Everybody there knows. I'm like, oh, shit. I was like, do I need to go on this install? And they're like, no, you don't need to go. I'm like, all right. Because, I mean, the dude was nice, but it's just like probably the type of guy where if I told him exactly what happened, he's like, oh, well, well, you know, we don't need you here. The job just got filled. And so I'm nervous as hell. And so they go out there, and sure enough, one of the guys they're talking to, he's like, oh, yeah, we got one of our guys at our shop. So he used to work out here. What's his name? Wade. my, My actual first name is Wade. He's like, Wade. Oh yeah, I know him. You know, how's everything go? Did he beat that case? What case? Well, you know, he k- killed a guy. He was arrested for. What? You serious? So then everybody knew and right. everybody found out. Now the owner never said anything to me, but I think by that time he had seen that I was a good worker, that I wasn't a, you know, a deviant or anything right. like that. You know, a bad guy I always come to work. I was always cutting jokes, making people laugh. So he never said anything, but I know he knew because sometimes we would have to go on jobs where you would require to have your background run like military bases and stuff like that and when those jobs come up I never got picked to go on those jobs so right. it, he knew he just didn't tell me he knew yeah and then like I said when covid hit <clears throat> um they let me go and which they did quite a few people and when I was at the job event now I just went in and told him up front I was like look dude I damn near got an ulcer at my last job not knowing like if he was going to find out what he right. was going to do you know, if every day I was going to walk in, like, why didn't you tell me this? I'm like, so I'm just telling you this right now up front. If you want me, this is what I got coming with me. You know, this is the baggage. And he's like, dude, I'm from Texas. He was like, you didn't do anything that I wouldn't have done. And I'm just like, all right, cool. And so just doing that was like a, a weight off me, like a tremendous weight that he knew, and I didn't have to worry about hiding anything. And, you know, I worked there, and I still work there now. And in the process of the covid I started my own podcast, right. which we talked about earlier. You know, you were a guest on my show. And the reason, theres I think there's no other quicker way to get somebody to learning about the law if you're in the middle of shit yeah. legally. And so immediately I go to, all right, wrongful conviction podcast. So I check out Central Park Central Park 5, Rusperia, a, di- a bunch of different cases. That leads me to true crime. Then I'm like, all right, well, this is kind of cool. I'd never listened to podcasts before the. And then I just decided to do my own and it kind of grew legs and, and took off. So, cause I'm a real social person. Like I like to talk to people and being on house arrest that doesn't work very well. Right. You're stuck, but being able to do it through zoom yeah. still gives me my availability to talk to people and talk to all different kinds of people and, and different subjects. And I come to a point where I had to go to New York. So I called my lawyer and I'm like, look, we ain't heard nothing from these guys from years. Like I think one thing they did have a prosecutor, that was over my case, he left. So they hired a new person. It was a woman. She only stayed for like six months. Then she left. Then they had a newer guy in there. So there was that, the man delayed it a little bit, but he just told me, he was like, look, he said, if you're good, the more time that goes by, the better it is. Yeah. Because things get lost. People move, people die, you know, whatever. A lot of shit can happen in there. And I'm just like, okay, well I'm, I'm happy. But when it got to the point where I needed to go to New York, I was just like, "Look, you know, it's, I'm getting kind of tired of this shit hanging over my head because that's a heavy weight." Yeah. To not know if you're gonna have to go to trial or jail for, I mean, because that's essentially life. You know, thirty years at my age, you know, that's pretty much life. Right. And I was like, you know, we gotta tell them either either shit or get off the pot here. So they gave me permission to go to New York in July. I went. I needed to go back in September to do another show with a guy up there. Went and done that, and then finally. This past November, the lawyer calls and he said, hey, what you doing? I'm like, I'm working, man. What you doing? He's like, just figured I'd call a free man. And I'm just like, are you serious? It's dropped. He said, yep. Case dismissed. And what did it was after that second trip to New York, the new prosecutor or solicitor that was over there, I think I think it's the same thing in it.
1: Yeah, prosecutor. Pretty much, yeah.
3: The new one agreed to have a meeting. He sent him an email. He's like, hey, we've been on this almost five years. He's like, here's where we're at. And he was like, I'll get familiar with it and get back to you. And so we had a meeting to where we all went to the police station. I kind of gave my story to him there. They played a PowerPoint, which is everything I was just explaining to you about, you know, the knocked over glasses. They had it all highlighted. Like they made it very easy for you to see what's going on. The
1: forensics. The forensics and all that. Like we're going to tear you you apart in court.
3: Yeah. And then they came to the house. So I had the the prosecutor, solicitor, come to the house with one of his other guys, a crime scene guy from the police. They all come to the house, and seeing it in the in the picture in person paints a very good picture of how it went down. Because this is not a wide kitchen by any means. You're already in a compact area. So the fact that if somebody's laying stretched across the floor, if you stand them up, like their full body length, and he's maybe I don't know five eight, five nine, something like that. There's not a lot of room to be had, you know. Now, if you were f- laying up against the refrigerator, that's one thing. But he wasn't. He was still probably a good six inches to a foot away from it. So I think seeing that really put it in perspective for him that, like you said, if we go to court, we're going to get fucking annihilated. Right. And not long after that, they dropped it. And And I want to say hats off to that prosecutor for even doing that. Because, like, he even told me, he said, this is very rare. He said, most prosecutors don't do this. He says, so the fact that he's coming out here to do this is, you know, something special. He said, but at the same time, it's a risk because we're showing him everything we have. Yeah. So he can go and say, all right, well they got this, we need to, you know, do whatever. But it luckily it all worked out. And finally after four it was like four years, nine months, it finally got dismissed at the basically the, the 31st of October.
1: Nice, nice. That's fucking honestly, you'll probably die about five years earlier. Than, oh yeah, I'm sure, probably know. ten. Yeah, yeah, Because
3: yeah. I mean, that's that's what I'm thinking. Like you know, and it doesn't even stop at me. My son, every grade he goes up. See, I don't know how it is here, but like we have schools in these communities. Yeah, all the insider schools there. Are. So obviously, you yeah, got there's Facebook schools right too. down there
1: right down the street yeah, a block so, away.
3: So you got that. Then you got Facebook and all these parents and everything. So like every year somebody goes, Oh yeah, I know you're your dad's the one that shot somebody. Yeah, and yeah. Every year he has to go through that. And there was a period of time. It was like a, about halfway in between this. I own a Siberian Husky. And my neighbor has a, uh, not my immediate neighbor, the neighbor of my neighbor had a pit bull. And this dog was notorious for getting out and like biting people. Right. And, I come home one day from work and it had jumped the fence and like messed my pit bull. Up. Like, I mean, bad, like Your had to pit take him, bull? No, 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 my, my Husky. I'm sorry. Okay. The pit bull messed my Husky up. So we had to take him to the doctor. Like he wasn't in fear of dying, but he was messed. He was bleeding from a lot of different places. I mean, it, it messed him up. Good. He couldn't walk for like two or three days. And so I was like, super pissed. I was like, she came over to the house and was like trying to apologize. I'm like, I don't want to fucking talk to you. It, it had already bit my son a year previous. Now, when I say bid, it was like a nip. Yeah, but still. Yeah, and I didn't say too much about it, but I did say he's not going to go back down there because it was a situation where they were playing basketball, and I was like, well, maybe the dog was just playing, and it just, you know, bit a little too hard. But I just told him, I'm like, hey, don't go down there no more. But this was different. Like, this dog now had jumped in my yard and done this. So somehow or another, the news got wind of it. And they contacted me, and I was like, hey, we want to come out and do a report on this dog bite. And I'm just like, well, yeah, that's fine. And I was like, I said, but I don't want to be in the report. I was like, I wasn't home. My daughter was. She was the one that was there in the thick of it. If you want to talk to somebody, she'd be the one to talk to her. Just because I didn't want to put my face right. out there with something else. So they do that. The report gets done. And then some uh, somebody on Facebook shares it. And then this lady comes on and she's like, well, I'm not sure how. But she said, I'm pretty sure this guy, this girl is related to the guy that Shot a man in his house, right, and got away with it. And somebody was like, Well, how would you know that? She said, I'm a public defender for Berkeley County. She said, He shot the man in his house, claimed self defense, but she said, There's a lot of evidence that doesn't support that. Then he went and hired the best attorney in Charleston to try to beat it. He said, I wish him luck, but the evidence
1: isn't in his favor.
3: This is on Facebook,
1: <laughs> and she's a public defender, Fucking asshole, right? And, I'm just, and
3: I didn't say it, I'm my and, my and certainly.
1: You know, even as a public defendant, like like the the likelihood that she's actually gone down, looked at the case. Like she may have been around the water cooler, yeah. And the other public defender said, Well, it doesn't look good for him. Yeah. Or some bullshit. But the fact that she went down, looked at the looked at all the evidence and everything else, like that's highly unlikely.
3: Yeah. And then later on somebody even said, Well, if this is your job and like, you know, maybe you shouldn't be on here putting shit like this on Facebook yeah. and she was like well, yeah, I may have said some things that probably shouldn't have been said on such a public forum, but I've had a few cocktails. It is what it is. And I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> and it I can't it, say anything. Right. It's, it's burning me up inside. I can't say yeah, anything. Had that's what the lawyer told me. He's like, yeah. you cannot go at people on his Facebook. He's like, let them say what they're going to say. Yeah. They're going to say it. He said, if you go at them, it'll, it'll become worse. And he's like, just don't respond. So for four years, I never responded to anybody. And, and any time there's like a firework, or a gu- or somebody thinks it's a gunshot. We the neighborhood is backed up to some some open land. So there is hunting that goes on. Anytime anybody hears like a gunshot, for some reason my name always gets brought up. Right. And it's a lot of people now are gone that were here then. So they're like, Oh, there was a murder. What happened? And the the situations that people come up with Oh, a guy caught his wife in bed with another woman and he shot the guy. I'm just like, that is fabricated Like as fuck. <laughs> like, that's not even
1: true. People are scumbags. I'm
3: like, we were living in different houses. Like, why would I? It's... I mean, yeah. I was just uh, like, oh. it, it was so, so frustrating.
1: But you and you and so she ends up, she moved back in. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you're still together. Mm-hmm. Everything worked out.
3: Still together, going strong. Um, you know, like I said, that the whole thing was, we were getting back together anyway. Yeah. Yeah. This was, that was the step. It just, this happened in the middle of it. So obviously yeah, it kind of put a lot of pressure on us and I mean, it still put a lot of pressure on us cause you know, it's, it's not been easy for me, man. I mean, it's a, you know, there's a depression aspect of it. There's a worry. I mean, it's basically like for four and a half years, I've I contributed to saying if I went to see if I had cancer. And I've been waiting to see the results for four and a half years. Right. Because essentially this be terminal. Like I wouldn't get out of prison. And and it's not like they even charged me with anything less. Like they went straight to murder, not involuntary or whatever. Another lawyer thought that they may probably try to plea it down because you can always go down. You just can't go up.
1: Yeah. I, I assume that they would have come to you at some point and, and made some kind of offer like, hey, manslaughter um, you know, something like that. But they never even made an attempt.
3: No. Well, I told him if they did, I was like, you tell them no fucking yeah,
1: way. Go to trial.
3: Like you find me 12 people from South Carolina that disagree no. with what I did. Then I guess I'll go away and, and have some free meals for a while. But I just don't think you can do it. No, not with everything laid out there. And that's what people say. Were well, you nervous? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm nervous because I'm in a situation. I was like, but as far as like the evidence speaking for itself. No, I'm not nervous. Like I'm in a a very unique position to where I don't need to lie about anything. Right. Like a lot of people probably have to, maybe have to cover up stuff to, you know, maybe yeah, not they might've made
1: or, one, one wrong step, yeah. but you're saying I didn't make any wrong steps. Yeah. I did everything. Yeah. That was correct.
3: Yeah. I didn't do anything wrong and, but still found myself in it. And that's what really opened my eyes to how, much this happens because there's not a doubt in my mind it's it's not a racial issue it's not a black or a white issue it's a green issue it's a money issue and if i hadn't had the money yeah to go get a good attorney there's no doubt in my mind you and me would not be having this conversation right now and i'd be behind bars all right there's not a doubt in my mind it all boils down to money
1: actually i mean we were just we were actually talking. I was like, oh, a lot of times they'll charge you with this, and then eventually the more they'll let you worry and worry and worry, and then they'll come and they'll say, okay, let's do this. We'll, we'll let you charge this. Even though you're not guilty of anything, mm-hmm. the fact is a lot of people say, you know what? I'll take the manslaughter charge. Why? Because I'm just too terrified of being found guilty of murder and going away for 30 years. Mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and go for five years. It's already been a couple of years. So I'll go for five, I'll get out in four, it's fine, I don't think I did it, but I'm so scared. And they, they bank on that.
3: That's exactly, you're exactly 100% right. They bank on that to get their conviction rates up. And essentially, that's all public defenders are anyway, they're plea deal brokers. Yeah. I mean, they try to get you plea deals that they don't have, the and to defend them too, they don't have the resources to help you like a paid lawyer will. Right. So that is their best way to help you is oh you're looking at 30 years well I can get you a plea where you do seven or ten or whatever right and that's what they and that's how the prosecutors move up the ladder I mean that's their way to climb up the the charts like you and I on YouTube our way of climbing up the charts is getting good content good guests good good episodes that spread around and people watch your show theirs they want to put people in jail yeah. for life and that's how they move up the ladder and yeah. they don't give a shit if you're guilty
1: or innocent it doesn't matter you know it's the uh, um, clickbait Yeah. You know, be, think about it. Like I know that this sounds better. It's not really what you are about to watch. Yeah, but it. I know it'll get clicks, so I know it'll get a win. Oh yeah, it's not quite there. And some people will watch the whole thing, hoping that that's that. That title is in there is somewhere. in there somewhere. But then in the end, they watch an hour and a half thing, and it's not really what happened. But by that time, I got gotcha. you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so so it's the same thing. Like they say, well. There he answered the door with a knife and a gun. He, you know, in his hand, or he this, or the 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 bullet trajectory doesn't doesn't line up with the story. Or well, you know, all that's not true, mm-hmm. you know. But I'm going to say it because it'll keep it'll keep the charges solid. It'll lead to maybe him getting us going to trial, and maybe I'll get lucky and he'll take a plea, you know. So they do that, and it, you know, well, the only problem is is that they're they're playing with people's lives and yeah. and. Yeah. You know, exactly. and they, the, I told my lawyer I was not taking a plea. Yeah. And they'll justify that to them. That's what kills me about prosecutors. It's like, you're 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 actually like you you can you sleep like a baby at night. Like you know, did I steal some money? Yeah, I stole some money. Did people get inconvenienced? Absolutely. Did people financially get harmed? Yes. There were some people that lost five thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, you know. Um, did I ruin their lives? No, their lives aren't ruined. But you get in front of the the judge and you say he ruined people's lives he that like knowing that's a lie
2: mm-hmm.
1: knowing just to inflame in the you know the the jury or the the judge and get them on their side like it's and then then somebody ends up getting 20 years for you know for something that really probably should have gotten a, a couple of years mm-hmm. not in my case but i mean so right. like for drugs or something you should have got a couple of years you gave him 20 years because he pissed you off because he went to trial and didn't want to take the year or two, and you sleep like a baby at night. Like, you didn't save society. You just cost society half a million dollars Mm -hmm. to incarcerate this person for 20 years when the truth is this guy was selling, you know, dime bags, and you treated him like he was a fucking kingpin because you're pissed that he didn't take the deal.
3: And that happens a lot, man. A lot more than people realize And. And once this happened to me, you know, I dove into, like I said, a lot of wrongful conviction cases and stuff like that. And since then I've been able to have a few of those guys on my show, like Russ Faria. He had a show on, I think it was Hulu. It's on Peacock now, but it was called The Truth About Pam with Renee Zellweger. And basically his wife was dying of cancer. She was like, stage four cancer. She was literally going to be dead within a couple of months. Right. Like it was the last stages. And the lady that was a friend of his wife's name, Pam, killed her. Uh, forged insurance documents so she could get the money but yet they pinned a the murder on Russ and he was in jail for three years before the truth finally came out. Whoa. Yeah. Crazy. And then I just got done an interview. Matter of fact, it come out on my show this week with Jeffrey Deskovic. Uh, I don't know if you know who he is or not. He's been on um, some other shows but he was arrested at 16 for the rape and murder of a classmate. Everything about his confession, everything was coerced and he's done 16 years in prison before the Innocence Project got involved with him, and they found that he was not guilty, uh, and he got out. And since then, he's actually became a lawyer to help, you know, fight these things. And he actually, when I interviewed him on my show, he actually had the first guy since he became a lawyer. His foundation had gotten people out, but since he actually went and got his law degree, this was the first guy that he got out, and he was on the show, so... It, it happens a lot more than, than people think and you know, when you break down percentages, you know like, Oh, well, you know, something's bound to slip through the cracks. That that's not something that's supposed to happen when you're talking about people's no, that's lives. That's not
1: minor. That's not minor.
3: No, and you and you I wanna say the percentages are like ten or twelve percent of people that are incarcerated or wrongfully incarcerated. Probably higher than that because they just took a deal, like you said, because they were scared. But it's like if I told you, Oh, only ten percent of planes fail, are you gonna feel <laughs> the same about fucking flying? Like no. I'm not, you no. know, I'm ner- Even though the percentages of whatever play are very low, I was nervous as hell flying out here last night. Like, I mean, it's just, you know, anytime you have to put your trust in the hands of someone else and they have a proven track record of not being able to, to handle it properly, it, it makes you nervous. Yeah. And that's kind of what I want to do with this now. I mean, you're actually the first show that I've been on that I've told the story to, and I want to, con- I want to tell it on other shows, but I want to get this word out there because I'm just not the guy that you think this happens to. Yeah. I'm not a career criminal. I've never been in trouble. I was a blue collar, middle America citizen who, yeah, I, did, I don't hunt, but I love guns and I've had guns since I was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And South Carolina. Yeah. This was just something that happened. And because of short sightedness from a detective who's actually not even a detective any longer, she got demoted all the way down to the prestigious role of a uh, security resource officer at an elementary school.
1: Nice. Those so, kids will be safe.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe somebody's fruit. Roll she's probably, she's making.
1: probably planting stuff in there in yeah. their lockers right I'm, now. I'm sure they Get are up against the wall, Sally. Oh, and, and check this now.
3: <laughs> so the national championship game, which was a, a blowout, but the other, I'm, we got a Buffalo wild wings built like right at the back of our neighborhood. And I'm there with my son and we're watching it. And I was kind of wanting TCU to win. He was wanting Georgia to win, you know, so he's giving me shit. And I see this woman walk in, and I was like, God, this woman looks familiar. It was I her? the guy walk in, it was her. The guy walks in, I'm just like, I know this guy, too. And the more I got to look it, I'm like, holy shit, it's her. And she sits down at the table, and there's like a whole group of kids come in that say something. They had a name on the back of all their shirts, but what it is, she's like leading those kids of trying to tell them, I guess, what it takes to be an officer or whatever. I was like, I wanted so bad to stand up and be like, if y'all going to follow her, you need a different fucking line of work. Like, yeah. that's that's not gonna work. But yeah, it was her. And she seemed she knew who I was. She kept looking. I told my son, I was like, tell me if she keeps looking back. Or he's like, Oh yeah. He said she keeps
1: looking. You didn't turn around and go. <laughs> no. No. Uh, um
4: <laughs> I started
1: so, uh, to buy her a drink no, Oh, really Yeah, no, That were, would have been that would have played nice yeah, nice. Yeah. Um All right. So the channels do like <laughs> The channel's doing all right.
3: It is, man. It's doing great. And, uh, you know, when, like I said, I was thinking of doing like a, a crime-based show, true crime show. But then I was like, dude, there's so many, you know, true crime shows. And to get do it well, there's a lot of research that goes in. Yeah, yeah. You know, get facts and stuff like that. So I twisted it just a little bit, and I put that crime and entertainment right. on there. So when the entertainment portion kicks in, I can talk to anybody. So I've been able to talk to guys like, you know, actors like Tom Sizemore or uh, I had Tommy Chong on the show, which was very cool. Oh. I mean, that's probably like the one time I was just like a little starstruck. You know, I was like, God, I watched you when I was a kid. So being able to talk to him for a couple hours, I just had a guy this, from The Godfather well, on.
1: Connor doesn't know uh, who Tommy Chong is. Guarantee it. Half the people who do you? I feel like I've heard the name of <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there's so many things that I'll be like, as we're talking, I'm thinking, he doesn't know who that is. Cheech and Chong, they this used to is do weed legal in Florida. I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they What's used it? to do all these movies. This was back when like it was taboo, and they would do these movies called like Up in Smoke, or you know, and then they would do these movies, and they're just two kind of stoner. guy. I love the ones where they they think they're Mexican and they throw them in the back. They get they deport them to Mexico, and they're like, huh? Ah
4: from Detroit
1: like, what are you talking about but they're stoned they're like hey man what are you talking about <laughs> like hey I, I'm an American man they're like no no <laughs> but it's they're they're hilarious the movies are hilarious yeah. probably funnier if you're stoned yeah. oh yeah for sure but, but I don't
3: know even funnier as a kid when I was watching them because like I didn't even don't know if I necessarily knew what they were doing as a kid the first time I watched it I didn't understand it. they were high but it was just funny because like the cars like filled with smoke and he's like hey how's my driving and he's like I think we're parked, man. And they're like on the side of the road in front of a sign. <laughs> and the cop comes up. He's like, where's your license? Ah, oh, back there on the bumper, man. I mean, it, but having him on there was just really, really cool. I've um, been able to talk that, you know, like as the actors from The Sopranos. That's like my favorite TV show. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I've got to talk with like four or five people from The Sopranos. God, he fucking
1: killed himself, right? Like uh, yeah. um, the the guy who plays Tony Soprano.
3: No, he didn't kill his, He's died. Heart attack. Oh, he just had a heart attack. Yeah. Oh, I thought
1: he killed himself. I don't know why. You're talking why about he James died. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he had a heart attack okay, I in thought Italy. He killed himself.
3: No, 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 no. He's been dead a couple of years now, but he, uh, he just had a heart attack in Italy. I mean, his. If you watch that show in progression, you could tell he he did get bigger each season. Yeah. And I think it was just one of the things that where he never kind of got it under control, and he got a little bit bigger, and yeah, he had a, a heart attack uh, in Italy. I'm pretty sure it was Italy, and. They, his son was over there with him, I believe. But then, you know, they redone They called it a, what is it, Many Saints of Newark? And his son, Michael, plays a younger him okay. in the movie. So it's like everybody from Sopranos, but maybe in their 20s or something like that. And, you know, that's that was the basis of that movie. So you get all the same characters in there, but they're obviously just different people. But I thought that was kind of cool that he played his dad. Yeah. But... Yeah, all right, I mean, it's 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 been going very well. I had you know guests like you on there. i um, you know a lot Tim McBride, who I know you've it's interviewed. Like fucking Tim McBride, great.
1: and can go forever. Yes, he'll I mean, go and go and go. And it's like, yeah, listen, Tim. Like I have, <laughs> I appreciate this, but um, yeah, we were
3: at like two hours forty five minutes, oh and he God. was just still going. And I'm like, just like, cause like, I like, the and, and then
1: all of a sudden he says, and at this point, I started selling marijuana, <laughs> Tim. <laughs> What are you doing, bro? <laughs> you know, and that's when I we started smuggling. Oh yeah. God, the yeah. smuggling story is another four hours.
3: I don't like to keep people longer than an hour. You know, yeah. I'm like, I, you know, because some people don't even like sitting for longer than an hour. But there's some stories that just have to go. And I think one of the yeah, only he, other ones. He's that we, made a
1: whole Tim's made a Tim don't have a job. Yeah, he got a whole career based on just you know I'll show up and I'll tell you my story. And he tells it the same pretty much every time. Mm-hmm. He hits the points. He's got the you know. He he's uh, and he gets paid for speaking engagements for, you know, so uh, but but um, yeah, he's 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 pretty good. He's pretty good. Who else is like that? Oh, um, Mike, uh, Mike Dowd. Yes. Have you talked to Mike Dowd?
3: I've I've met Mike in New York. We went up there for uh, Anthony Ruggiano was having something at a studio in Long Island and I met him and we were actually supposed to do a show the weekend that I, my charges got dropped, I was actually I had the flu. I was diagnosed with the flu. I was supposed to go back up there that weekend, and me and Dow were supposed to do a show in that same studio, but I had to cancel it. So we're gonna right. get we're gonna get it done at some Listen, point. But I met him personally.
1: He's got the second highest um, views on my channel. He was with I think he was the first like the first or second I think it was the first interview I did, and the video itself like Colby botched. Like there are times where like 20 minutes in and then maybe another uh, an hour in and like an hour and 10 minutes in where, where I'm doing this and it's doubt is talking and I'm not talking or doubt is talking and it's saying something else. Like it's like he, he totally d- like, you know, Colby just, you know, botched the whole thing still got, cause it was the first time we were doing it. Yeah. And what we were doing was we had two cameras, but we didn't have the switcher yet. So he was there, and he took it. And when he stacked the videos, something happened. Oh, plus the cameras we had were like shutting off. Oh boy! I mean, it was it was it was it was a, it was a fucking train wreck, bro. Yeah. Right? Because I had the old cameras that shut off at like twenty five minutes or yeah. twenty two minutes. You know, I, now we got these. I got these things, and they they don't. Actually, this one overheats sometimes, but um, for the most part, they're great. Uh, but yeah, but still, he 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 was great. He was great. And I didn't even know his whole story. Wow. Because I knew parts of the story. Um, and, and then later I was like, I should have watched the whole thing. Cause he missed, he, he always skips the part where he was supposed to kidnap this person. Yeah. Like he skips that whole part. And then he's like, yeah, yeah. you know, And then I went to jail. If I had known better, I'd be like, wait a second. <laughs> you skipped the fucking kidnapping. Ah, <laughs> that. we don't have to talk about that. Um, uh, but he's he's a character. I, it's funny too because I've always been like, is he coked up? Like he's so animated, no, but he's just wired, man. That's everybody just who says that. He is. That's just that's how that's he is, he bro. Is. He's just
3: jacked up all the time. Well, you can imagine when he was doing it. Oh God! Like like he said, I don't know. Have you watched the whole documentary since then? Since then, yes. But so he said he just like pulls in his Corvette in the damn Chiefs parking spot. I mean, like yeah, I can maniac. see him doing that.
1: He's a maniac. You know what's so funny is you'll talk to, like I have a cousin who's. Um, a meth addict, right? And there are some people like if I drink coffee, like I can't go to bed. Like I can go upstairs. If I drink a cup of coffee, I can't go upstairs and have, and go to sleep. My, but because my cousins uh, like a meth addict and he's just, his chemically, he's just, he's just wired different. He'll drink two cups of coffee and it puts him to sleep. Wow. And it's like, what? And a lot of these guys are like this. So I was wondering like, if this is, if this is Dowd normal, what's he like on coke he may be like drowsy like falling asleep and totally like calm like you're talking to an accountant or something (laughs) instead of this maniac but yeah uh i've had some great ones listen you know what you what? another, another podcast i had was a guy named walt pavlo did you you weren't here yet with walt this was at the old house at the old place the old house i'm gonna say the studio it was really my apartment so at the old studio and Walt, we had a conversation, and I knew a little bit about Walt. So like he was a part of MCI, he worked for MCI, and and I thought, okay, so you fudged some numbers, no big deal, and you know that's it's like I had heard bits and pieces of the story, but it was so such a boring story. I never followed, I never really watched the whole thing, right? right. Then he came and he told the story, and as the story progressed, I was like, look. <laughs> like, well, you did what like he's literally he's working deals with people that owe money. Like, give me a million dollars. I'll get your credit line shut turned back on. You can borrow this much, you, you can then run it up to this much money, close it down, send me the million offshore. He's got like six or seven million stacked offshore. Like he's running a whole scam on MCI while they're melting down. He's taking and I was like, listen, in the middle of that thing, I remember looking at him going you know bro i have like this is horrible but i have like a newfound respect for you like (laughs) i thought he was just like some cpa like cooking the books yeah no bro you're running this massive he didn't steal a little bit of money it's millions and millions offshore hidden accounts it was like this is brilliant like it was horrible horrible i mean i feel bad yeah i feel bad but uh you know but yeah he was it was
3: tommy um you know, Tommy got locked up, Suing and Tommy Chong. He got locked up for a little while when he had his bond company, and it was when Biden and Obama was in administration. There was something that they were trying to get him on of selling paraphernalia across state lines or something along those lines. I forgot the specifics, but basically he copped to the charge, got like six months in prison if they would leave his family alone because they basically said they, they wanted him. He right. was the name. And when he went in there, he whatever prison. It wasn't a prison. It was more of a, a, like a camp. Thing. It was a camp. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was in there with Jordan. Belford. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He could conv- Belford says he convinced me to write my story. Yeah.
3: And that's what he told him. He's like, you know, he said, I believe in something called the most of, and he said, Jordan was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, man, whatever it is, he's like, it's the most of, he's like, if you're the, if you were high, you're the most high you've ever been in your fucking life. If you were going fast, that was the fastest you've ever drove in your life. And then I'm just like, I remember in bits and pieces of the Wolf of Wall Street, and I'm like, well, he took that to the letter because yeah, like did. everything in there was the most of. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was cool. And he said they were they couldn't hang around each other because they're both like convicted felons, but he said he would stop at the street and he would step out and they would like yell at each other from the porch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, um all right, I mean we're we're good. You feel you feel yeah, got anything else? Nah? I mean,
3: I I guess the biggest thing is, you know, people. When you see something on TV, if you see, because I'll even admit I was like this. When you see something, they made an arrest. I was like, "Well, damn, he must have did it." Yeah, oh, you know, dead. it was just, it was just
1: how I was, my mode of thinking at the time. Now, no, not no. so much. No, listen, what about Law and Order? Like I used to watch Law and Order, and like there were times when McCoy, McCoy was the the, the district attorney. So McCoy, you don't know what Law and Order, don't you? Know you've heard of it unbelievable longest running fucking program ever so (laughs) anyway like multiple series uh spinoffs everything anyway mccoy would find out in the middle of something of the investigation and he'd 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 he'd, uh he'd charge this guy in the middle of it something would happen and he would go oh my god like he's not guilty and then they would be like quick where is he well he's in he's in rikers right now Call the warden. We got to get him out. Like, like he's a fit, like, Oh my God, I sent the wrong man to jail. We have to get this. Listen, in real life, they go, shh, 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 shh. Yeah. don't say anything, bro. We got a conviction. He's in jail. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like we're good. There'd like, go. yeah, that like, like, it's fine. It's fine. He had his day in court. It says he's guilty. Yeah, but you know, now I don't know anything. That could mean anything. I don't know. Like suddenly it's like, are you fucking serious? You know, the guy's innocent in the movies they're offended because they want prosecutors want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Right. But in real, you know, I mean, I mean, that's in the movies, but in, you know, in real life, a lot of times they want a conviction. Like, I don't really think this guy probably murdered him. He maybe, maybe it's, you know, manslaughter. Um, but I think I can get him for murder. Okay. Well, yeah. well wait a second. Like that's, you just said, well, yeah, but if I twist it this way and do this, and I know I, I think I can get that guy down the street to say this. I think he'll say that if I push him. Mm-hmm. I think I can convince the jury. It's like, what are you doing? This is there's no, there's no nothing here. There's not even this, you know. Or they overreach. Casey Anthony, mm-hmm. murder. Okay, but you can't prove murder. Why don't you leave um, manslaughter? On the table. No, we'll pull it. And we'll force them to convict her of murder because they have to charge her with something. But yeah. well, guess what? They don't charge her. They say, nah, I don't see murder. Maybe manslaughter. We're not going to charge her. But there is no manslaughter. They took it off the table. Mm-hmm. So, do you, so is she guilty? No. Not a murder. Boom, she goes free. Yep. So, you know, pe- people don't realize the games they play. And sometimes it works to their advantage. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes guilty people go free. And sometimes... Innocent people end up getting fucking 25 or 30 years.
3: Yeah. I mean, in, in researching this, I find out it happens a lot. You know, and like I said, a lot of it, like we mentioned earlier, boils down to who you can have as a lawyer. Um, and even sometimes a good lawyer can help. I mean, case Anthony's lawyer, at least. I don't know how well he was known at the time. I know no. he's big
1: shit now. But he <laughs> but he was amazing. And then he got off, um, what was the football player?
3: Hernandez. Hernandez. got yeah. Hernandez.
1: I mean, Hernandez killed himself because of the second case right. or whatever that may have but happened.
3: the other one he got him off on, the second sure.
1: Never got him off on that case. Like it was insane. It's like wow, this guy, even Casey Anthony's. The fact that he got her off, yeah, that was insane.
3: Yeah, that was insane. Matter of fact, his name got brought up whenever when somebody was saying when we were talking about Jose Baez. Like, yeah, Jose ba- is it Baez, Baez, Obiase? I don't might know. be Baez. I can't remember
1: Jose something Spanish.
3: Yeah, and I was just like, oh shit. I
1: was like, yeah, I'll stick to local guys. Yeah, you know? but plus I mean, you did, plus you had not that it couldn't have gone bad, but honestly. You you had a solid you, like 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 it, and probably which is probably a mistake on your part is you you're like I'm innocent which may or may not have meant anything yeah. but the fact is is that you know so one you had hey one I'm innocent and two you're thinking like this should be a slam dunk. if I do go to trial like it could go either way but it's lean like I know I haven't done anything well what we were thinking of or what we were gonna make a motion for
3: is what was called a Duncan hearing. And that's basically a, a plea of self-defense and castle law. Now that wouldn't be the trial; that would be us. So at that point in time, we have the burden of proof on us, right, to prove that we acted in self-defense. If they would say, "Okay, well, no, we don't see self-defense," you know, denied or whatever, then we would have to go to trial. Then the burden of proof gets flipped to the state to prove that I done this or, or whatever. And I'm just like. Even from the start, from the first piece of the conversation, like I don't reach out to that guy; he reached out to me. Yeah, like murder is premeditated murder. Like at no point in that time that I have time to think or plan any of this. I was at home in bed watching the UFC. I mean, so all of it was there. They they took my phone. They took his phones. All of it was there. So they had it all. They knew it. I think it was my opinion at the end of the day. A rookie cop rushed it, or not rookie. I shouldn't say rookie, but newly promoted to detective, rushed to judgment. And in doing so, it cost me, you know, probably by the time it was all said and done, because I had to pay for that forensics, the guy to come down. We had to pay. He flew down twice. Um, it's probably going to be close to like $100,000 that I've been out of just to prove that I'm innocent and offer them to just drop the charges. We didn't even have to do the dunking hearing. They just dropped it. And to me, that's basically saying, my bad, we fucked up.
1: I just wonder how many elementary Children right now are having drugs planted in their lockers the, from this
3: woman. The incarceration rate in the <laughs> local, yeah, local juvenile <laughs> facilities is going to be going through the roof. Skyrocketed. here. Skyrocketed. <laughs> um, all
1: right, we're good. Yes, sir. We're good, man. Appreciate it. No, I, I appreciate you flying down. I appreciate you coming and doing it in person. And yeah. and um, that's what that's what I want to do. And, and I want to get on a few
3: more shows and just just spread the word about this because we mentioned earlier, you know this this. You wouldn't expect a guy like me to be involved in something like this. You would think it was clear. Anybody that I ever told the story to was oh, well, that's self-defense. Yeah, most sane people think that, but I guess some people didn't. But, you know, it, it does depend a lot on the lawyer. And there's insurances that protect you from certain things like that. I need to get up with them. I need to be their spokesperson. I need to be like, dude, you let me go and at a seminar. You're trying to sell this insurance. I'll tell them how much money they can save because it happened. Yeah. And basically it's like, if you pay, I think it's like, we'll just say 20 bucks or whatever. You get like $50,000 worth of coverage. And if you're found not guilty, then you get, you know, everything's paid for. It's like carry guard or USAA, but it protects you in these situations. Yeah. So if you use your weapon and then you get charged, they cover all the
1: expenses. Kind of like I do for the home title lock. Yeah. It's like a little spokesperson. Hey, if you like the video, do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. Hit the bell so you get notified of videos just like this. Share the video to all your friends and family. Also, do me a favor and leave me a comment. Like the video. Leave me a comment in the comment section because I kind of boxed that, but that's fine. Uh, Leave me a comment in the comment section. I will respond to... I'm going to go with 80 to 90% of the comments. Some of them are just there's just no reason to respond. Um, also, uh, you can, if you like the video, you can thank. Oh, sorry, I think I spit on you. Thank me. You can thank me by hitting the thank you button and it allows you to donate like $1.99 or $4.99, whatever. Those are awesome. I appreciate that. I also have Patreon. This is a whole pitch. So I also have Patreon. Also uh, in the description, we're going to leave the the um, the link for Chip's YouTube channel, Crime and Entertainment. And also, if you like true crime, I've got like six or seven books. Uh, The links will also be in the description box. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. And thank you very much. And see you.